High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome and happy Memorial Day, fellow Goonies. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Apologies for the slightly late delivery today. Look, it's still Memorial Day somewhere in the United States, right? (laughs) No, if you're not from the U.S., Memorial Day is like the official start of the summer. I mean, officially, it is a day to honor our fallen soldiers here. So we do that, but I should say unofficially, it's the start of the summer. The weather was miserable for most of the weekend in New York, but Monday was nice. So enjoyed that a little bit, but been dealing with some things here and there. Maybe I'll discuss them on High School Slumber Party. Maybe I won't. Who knows? But wanted to get this Goonies episode out because this is a big movie. This is an important movie. We're still in our Corey Haim, Corey Feldman to Corey series. Of course, Corey Feldman is in this one. And yeah, Mike Manzi's still here as he was on Friday when we talked another early Feldman movie with the guest Dan Colon as well. That was Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Check that out in the archives. That was your homework, of course, to listen to that. And today's homework was to watch the aforementioned Goonies. Mike Manzi and the great Jordan Pullen Clark is here. Jordan hasn't been here in a while. We are members of the Hot Dog Gang. More on that later. But yeah, can't wait for you to hear this episode on the Goonies. Some other homework I need to remind you of. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Of course, you can check out episodes on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me, the flagship for all high school slumber party programming. Class participation is a huge, huge part of your grade. Please participate on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Whoa, 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 the bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. We have more to talk about today. And, and I see two people at the, the classroom door over there, and I'm getting a little nervous because one I know very well and one I don't know at all. So why don't you guys introduce yourself and tell me what you're doing in my classroom today? Uh, Joey Lewandowski, Hunter and Central Regional High School Class of 2006. Go Red Devils. Is that what you mean, or you want me to just say hi? I don't know what you want. Well, you did it, Joey. You, you, you know what it's like to be Thank on you. High School Slumber Party, so I appreciate that. But uh, Friendly Stranger, do you know how to introduce yourself <laughs> on High School Slumber uh, Party? <laughs> am I supposed to say what high school I went to? Yes, name, high school, graduating class optional because we're not ageist, 
and the high school team name. Bobby Fisher, Wall Township, class of 2001, Crimson Knights. Crimson Knights, interesting. I was a Golden Knight, yeah, they, so we were rivals, I guess. I think I think we used to be the White Knights, and then and then Ooh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, and then they were like too much. <laughs> wow, that's a good one. That's a good one. So I, I kind of know why you're here because uh, Joe, you've told me you have a show coming out relatively soon. I think this week, right? About something we don't talk about here in High School Slumber Party. No, yeah. So this is uh, school adjacent. So Thursday, June 3rd, this Thursday, Bob and I have a new show coming out on the Cage Club Podcast Network called How to Win the Lottery, which is a podcast book club. So if you want to do your homework, if you want to go above and beyond those extracurricular activities, shouting out Too Fast, Too Forever over there, uh, join our book club. So what what kind of books are you reading? Are you reading movie theme books like Mike Manzi has in his show in the past, or is it... <laughs> What, what are we talking about here? Well, I'm not allowed to call him the professor, but I'll let the professor answer that question. <laughs> okay, so so, so uh, for the last year or so, I've been curating a list for Joey to read because Joey was interested in getting uh, like more back in, in, into reading. And I uh, don't get the opportunity to teach literature as often as I'd like. But, you know, the, the types of books that we're reading are books that I guess not classics necessarily, not things that you would normally read for school but um maybe more contemporary more things that will get regular people more into books and not uh a, a, how about a book cast not for nerds is that is that a good tagline i like that that works for me Ooh, yeah. i like i like that too that sounds fun uh so bob i obviously don't know you well joey you are are the godfather of the cage club podcast network so oh i think you're going to introduce me as the enemy of this podcast <laughs> you are not cause... the enemy you i i'm your biggest offender here Hey man, that's not that's not how I come across in these episodes. I can tell you that much. That's funny because Joey's also my enemy. So. <laughs> I think you're the most mentioned person. You could say that in high school. Oh, I first. definitely am, and it's rarely positive. <laughs> I mean, it's not always negative, but it's rarely positive. It's just a character that's being cultivated here. I'm not. I don't have anything to do with it. It just happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> but Bob, I was going to ask you first. How do you guys know each other, and like, what's your background? Uh, we are, Joey and I are in a fantasy baseball league together, um, mm-hmm. that is sort of, uh, threaded together through a lot of people that I went to, uh, both college and high school with. Um, and then Joey was the roommate of someone that I knew from when I was a, a small child. Uh, so that's how he ended up in the, in the league. Although, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Joey, did I hear this right? That you were once roommates with a small child? Did I hear yes, that? I went. I went to college with a small child that Bob was somehow friends with, and the three of us then met each other via that small child. So yeah, you got it spot on. He was Benjamin Buttoning though, so it's all right. <laughs> Bob. How many times have you won the fantasy league? Uh, zero. Zero. He's new. He's he's okay. he's our newest member though. So he's you know he also inherited like the worst team in the history like until this Ooh. year because this year so. There are a bunch of a couple different sets of brothers, and Bob inherited the the team of one brother who had historically the worst team that our fantasy league has ever had. Uh, until this other guy's this guy's other brother, you know, his brother who's still in our league, he is set to demolish the record for ineptitude this year. But I'm just framing that within the brotherly confines for no reason whatsoever. But also to say that Bob inherited an absolutely god awful fantasy baseball team that took a year or two to just like salvage to like mediocrity. Like, yeah. it just, he was so far below, like, even, neutral, zero, that uh, he's still working his way out of this, like, ungodly chasm of a 
a hole that uh, Joey's he was handed. I, I also I also have no talent, so. <laughs> well, it's fair to say, though, Bob, that you are the Steve Cohen of the Fantasy League, then. You know, you, you bought my beloved Mets, um, who, who've been <laughs> mired in, in mediocrity and jokes, essentially, and hopefully you'll bring us back to the promised land. So I'm rooting for you, Bob. Definitely rooting for you. Um, hope you wear that jacket one day. Your first episode, you said, comes out Thursday. What's the book? What are you talking about? We're talking about Death in Her Hands by Otessa Moshveg. That sounds heavy. Wait, did you say the name of the podcast? How to Win the Lottery. All right, more on that later. Tell me about this death book first. Is it heavy? Is it something that I should be intimidated by? Well, Bob, why don't you hit him with the theme for our first season? The first season is uh, is pretty heavy in that thematically it's um focused on sort of grief and overcoming trauma. So this first uh, episode is is about a woman who is living by herself and she might have dementia and she uh, discovers a note in the woods talking about a murder. And so she decides to investigate that possible murder on her own. Um, it's fun. It sounds it sounds heavier than it is, I, <laughs> I was going to say, like, way to begin on a high note, guys. <laughs> <laughs> comedy. It's a comedy podcast, really. <laughs> well, uh, how uh, how often are you releasing episodes? Every two weeks, every other Thursday. And it's ambitious. We know that it's ambitious because, uh, you know, we're asking people who follow along to basically read 26 books with us per year. Um, just for the show, essentially, right? So we know that that's a lot, but we posted the entire reading list for this first season at cageclub.me slash lottery. So if you want to just even pick one book this season to follow along with, you can write into lottery at cageclub.me. You know, we want it to be interactive. We want people to email in their thoughts and their opinions, their hot takes, hot, hot takes about any of the books or all the books that we're reading. So uh, we know that it's a, it's a tall ask to follow along. It's not like just watching a movie or two a week like you do, Brian. It's like, oh, hey, like, you know, there's probably 4,000 pages that we want you to read, including a 1,000-page book itself um, in these first, what, like three or four months. So, like, we, we know it's kind of crazy and ambitious, but if you want to join along, join in. If you want to, you know, ha- add in on, you know, join in on the fun of this show, you know, you can pick one book, pick all 10 books, whatever you want. Yeah. And I want to say also, like a lot of times when people are kids, they love reading. And then uh, at some point uh, th- that uh, love is sort of torn from them through things like school and, and like, you know, uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne and stuff like that. But um, reading doesn't have to be like that. You can like there's lots of contemporary literature out there that's just as entertaining, just as compelling as any of the, the most action movie uh, pop culture um, it's just that you have to know where to, where to where to find it. So um, hopefully uh, I can help be that kind of curator for you and and bring you back to where uh, I don't know maybe you used to love being. Yeah, you know, like uh, my co-host over on Too Fast Too Forever, Joe Two, talked about growing up at Pizza Hut and like getting those free pizzas or the, co- the the coupons or whatever, right, for reading books in school. So just pretend that you're getting free pizza <laughs> while you listen to our podcast. Like it's exactly what you want to do. Actually, well, I, if, you, if you join the Patreon, I'll deliver pizza to your house directly. <laughs> it's also that's also thematically on brand for our second episode, which is called Pizza Girl by Gene Kyung Frazier. So you know, pizza's in our DNA. Nice, nice. Now, I was going to say, that sounds like a good idea because, you know, I'm always looking for something to occupy my time. I, I do a lot of audiobooks, sorry, but that's just because... No, 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 that's, no, that's fine. That's totally, yeah, that's legitimate. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad I qualify because, uh, you know, I 
wow, this is going to be a really bad plug for this show and your show, but sometimes I get sick of podcasts, right? (laughs) And and I have to just switch things up a little, but I never know where to go. So I'm looking forward to seeing this because it's like, oh, do I read The Great Gatsby or these classics I remember in school? I don't know what's cool in books. I know what's cool in movies. They release trailers and stuff. Like, I don't know what's cool in books. So, Oh, baby, let me be your cool guide. (laughs) Well, I I will say that. While I take you into this underground. (laughs) I will say that, you know, again, this is putting a lot of pressure on him, but in the almost year and a half that I've been reading almost exclusively like what he's had me read, there's not been a book that he has picked that I've disliked. I haven't loved everything, but I've at least really liked everything. And so it's a great track record. But there's also something that like I kind of like... I think people who don't read a lot forget that like books can be really good, like to the point where there's some books that Bob has chosen or had me read where I'm like, there's nothing that I would rather watch or listen to or play or whatever than like keep reading this book. So, you know, it's books are good, guys. That's all I'm saying. That's a long way of saying that books are good. I do have another question for you guys. Now, in podcasting for a lot of general things, some people just listen and they don't do the homework, which I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of on High School Slumber Party. <laughs> what do you say to those people who just want to listen along about the book and not necessarily read the book? Are you okay with them? I don't know. I'm fine. Yeah, that's cool. That's totally cool. There are podcasts that I listen to, uh, mostly bad movie podcasts, where I don't I don't always watch the movies uh, to go along with them, and I find the conversations in general just entertaining. Uh, we also have conversations that, uh, you know, around sort of headier topics like theory, critical theory and things like that, that might be, uh, I don't know, intellectually stimulating in some way. I don't want to uh, uh, raise the bar too high, but um, yeah, it, it might be fun to listen to if you haven't read the book. I really, I don't know, though. I don't know if it would be uh, rewarding a rewarding listen, but I, <laughs> they're I, I will say, though, to that to that end, Brian, it's kind of like somebody not watching the movie and listening to your podcast where you'll get the gist and you'll know largely what goes on in the narrative but it's also going to spoil the hell out of the thing so like well if you if you want to read the thing if you want to see the movie for your show do that before listening right probably okay so to that end what i'll say is if what you're maybe interested in is like pretending like you're someone that reads cool books Ooh. and you're going on tinder dates with people who have reading in their, in their bio like you can go and you can go oh i just read this great book and then you can just t- and we, we're doing crib notes for you you can just steal our notes go into that that thing you can even steal our jokes steal whatever you want and it'll oh my god like, you know like if beautiful you, yeah, if there are people in your life that you want to impress by pretending like you read, ours is the podcast to go to. That is so I, smart. This is a, that is this so is a smart. new demo that I did not think that we were going to tap into, but I love it. We're going to buy some targeted ads for people who follow like Tinder and Bumble on Twitter and just be like, hey, want to look smart to your first date? Uh, now it's the whoring 20s and people <laughs> are all about reading still. Listen to our podcast. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to suggest that to the host of Foodie Films, the Foodie Films man, Kyle Reinfried, for, for, for his dates, right? Like, look a little bit more learned. Because, look, anyone can, not anyone, but a lot of people have read the canon, right, the classics. You show up at your date talking about reading some of the books I'm sure you're going to be talking about. Woo! You're going to look really cool. Wow. Well, that's the thing that like Bob, you know, there is a blend of different authors of different uh, genders and races and, and ethnicities and nationalities and everything. And also different 
eras and time periods. Like the first two books that we read this season um, are both from last year. And then the the next couple that we're reading are released a while ago, right? So it's it's a way to stay current. It's a way to find old favorites. It's a way to diversify. But also we're not like, hey, we're reading Romeo and Juliet this week. And then in two <laughs> weeks, we're reading Moby Dick. Like we might get to those at some point. Who knows? But we're doing things that are fresher and more modern and cooler than uh, this ain't your daddy's book club is what I'm saying. Or maybe it is. I don't know. You can join. Listen. Yeah, your, da- your daddy is welcome. <laughs> Throw him in some leather. Bring him over. Dad, daddy's well. How to win the lottery? Daddy's welcome. Oh yeah, put <laughs> put that on the logo. That works. Speaking of which, um, the title. Tell me where it comes from. Bob, this is up to you. If you want to share, because oh, we I don't we, we don't we have made to a vow. We made a, we made a pact to never share on our show. Oh, it's, it's a feel like we can we can share on other shows. It's kind of a uh, a, a sick joke. Um, yeah, because. If you, I mean, if you're familiar with the the Shirley Jackson story, uh, the lottery, which is about um, uh, a town uh, that that runs a lottery, and then the person that wins the lottery is it gets stoned to death. Um, so I, the, the, I, I guess the joke is is like almost a, a suicide joke or something. Yeah. It came from, like, Bob and I had this idea for, because, you know, we talk about all the books that I've been reading, and I'm, you know, talking it out or whatever, and then it wasn't until, this is literally the idea for the, the inception for the podcast, is that my AirPods died while on a walk, and I've been telling my one friend about this book, Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead, and so I was like, let me just send her a voice message that, like, sums up my ideas, and I just sent her, like, this 10-minute kind of rambling, incoherent, like, this is what I think the book's about, and I was like, wait a minute, if I can just babble for 10 minutes about something, uh, this is a podcast because Bob's smarter than I am. He knows more about these books than I do. Let's do something on air. And so we had this idea. And then for like a month, we're like, what is the name going to be? I don't know what the name should be. It has to be kind of cool or funny. And like, not just like book club, like the, the best idea that we had, which was great, but I don't know that we can do a podcast called that was book fuck explosion, um, <laughs> which is based on a, what, what's the movie, yeah, Bob? There's a movie called mod fuck explosion. Yeah. So we were going to do book fuck explosion and it was going to be like uh, the book emoji and then the eggplant emoji and then the explosion emoji in some way. Right. And so we're like, I, don't know, like, I love that. I don't know if we can get that by like, I don't know if Apple will let you have a podcast called book fuck explosion, whatever. Right. <laughs> I don't think so. And so, as you know, as I might have talked about in here, I don't know, I'm watching for the first time The Simpsons and Seinfeld this year. And there's an episode of The Simpsons where the Simpsons dog needs surgery. And so Homer to save $800 is reading like how to perform canine surgery or whatever. And Marge is like, you can't do that. And he throws in the fire. He's like, oh, you're right. And in the fire is a copy of Shirley Jackson's The Lottery. <laughs> and so I crack up because I'm, you know, the joke is that Homer thinks reading this book called The Lottery will teach him how to win the lottery because he's like reading a book on canine surgery. And so he's, you know, trying to learn that way. So I'm thinking it's very funny that Homer buys this book, The Lottery. So that's why How to Win the Lottery kind of came from Bob's like, yeah, that's it. We're going to do that. So, you know, it's a Simpsons joke. It's a suicide joke. It's a Shirley Jackson literary joke. You know, it's it's all the things you want. Different levels, different layers. I love it. All right. I have to ask this. I have to ask. Favorite favorite writers. Go. Ooh. My favorite writer, I think, is one that Bob introduced me to. It's one that we've talked about. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was on air, Brian, or not, but definitely off air. But Don DeLillo, I just reread White Noise, which is amazing. But my favorite book, I think, period, right now, is End Zone, which is also by Don DeLillo, um, which is about football and also nuclear holocaust. So that's pretty cool. Feels very DeLillo. <laughs> How about you, Bob? 
Uh, it's, it's a fraught question because there's, you know, over my life I've had, you know, th there's so many. Um, but, like, the people who have really, really rung my bell, so to speak, are, like, uh, William Gass, uh, uh, William Gaddis, Philip Roth, um, Amy Hempel, Lydia Davis. Yeah, Amy Hempel. Uh, Javier Marias, um, Cynthia Ozick. Uh, there's, there are a, mil a million of them. Single guys out there, write these names down next time you're on a date. <laughs> if the lady asks, you rattle the list exactly how Bob did. Whew, well, there's a, a whole date. no. Don't don't like say Philip Roth because like there's a whole list of authors out there that people on the internet are like, ladies, if your man has this book on his bookshelf. Oh, I didn't know that. Don't don't go home with him. Um, <laughs> so I don't I don't know. Um, I will say though that the author of the first book that we read, Otessa Moshfag, Death in Her Hands. The book that I read, I think my, maybe my favorite book from last year, or one of my two or three favorite books from last year, is an earlier book that she had written called My Year of Rest and Relaxation. And so she's another one that after one book, I was like, oh, she might be one of my favorite authors based on one book alone. Um, so she's amazing. And Death in Her Hands is great. So I'm looking forward to reading her other two or three you know, novels or collections of short stories or whatever. So cool. Uh, Brian, I have a high school slumber party uh, question for you. Go for it. Do you have any um, like... Uh, uh high school books that you that you were into oh man that's a good question what did i read in oh wait books about high school sure, then no yeah, yeah. then I, I don't can't think of any what no. books are about high school i well, was thinking I, of what i read in high school so i have a uh, a suggestion for you because you you do movies right just yes it, okay have you have you uh seen uh, the chocolate war the chocolate war I, it's on my list i have not seen the movie but i am familiar with the book i did i have not read the book though man bump it up Bump Chocolate Word at the top of the list. That's a uh, that's an all time favorite high school book and high school movie of mine. I know it sounds like if you need a guest, Brian, you know who to who to ask. Oh, definitely, you're booked, Bob. First of all, second of all, I don't know. I've heard. Oh, booked. Look at that. Look at you making <laughs> jokes. I've heard very controversial things about you know the book and the film. So it's a, it's a tough. It's it's a it's a tough movie. Tough book. I should have prepped and seen what actual books about high school that I've read. I mean, because in high school, you don't really read a lot of books about high school, yeah. if that makes but sense. You, do read, right? you tend to read. You don't really read them in high school for the most part, right? One of my favorite books from last year, another one of my favorite books, is about high school. Bob had me read this book called The Virgins by Pamela Ahrens, and it's great. It's really, really good. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That didn't become that's – that's not a movie, though, is it? Or is it? No, no, no. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> well, I suppose there's a, lot, there's a lot of YA out there, and that does influence the – books that i see being made into movies but i don't read too many ya myself sorry guys i just haven't no, but well i think there's this weird thing where it's like if, if characters are of high school age it's often categorized as ya um i know that when i was a kid i read the chocolate war and the chocolate war is arguably maybe not a book that kids should be reading but it, it was it was placed in that category because of uh of you know the characters are in high school so hmm yeah. That's a good call, you know? I mean, I, I don't know what defines YA. They just tell me when I read the IMDb trivia that it is, but you, you could be right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that, that was gotcha journalism. I sprung that question on you. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't care about looking like a fool on this show. Trust me. <laughs> that is no problem at all. I'll do my homework, though, for next time. When you do come on for the Chocolate War or for whatever, I'll do my homework and be like, actually, these are the ones I've read. Or maybe I'll just listen to your show and pretend I read. Who knows? Yeah, but. Dude. 
<laughs> Looking forward to it, guys. It sounds really, really fun. Very, very different than you know a lot of the other podcasts on the Cage Club Podcast Network. That doesn't make the other ones bad, but happy to get some more book things in here and being told what to read i'm looking forward to that part as well anything else you want to say or plug or or do before you get out of this classroom you can follow us on twitter at lottery pod and cageclub.me slash lottery you'll know everything and every thursday every other thursday june 3rd then june 17th and july 1st and so on and so forth awesome guys well looking forward to it this thursday and uh yeah have a good one Thank you, Brian. You're not canceled. Thank you for doing me this favor. <laughs> it, it's not just a favor, Joey. I learned, and that's the important Ooh. part. I, I, I teach sometimes, but I also learn. Wait, what's today's episode? The Goonies? The Goonies. Bob, you got thoughts on The Goonies? Because I've never seen it. Uh, here's, a, here's a better question I will ask. Should I watch The Goonies if I've never seen The Goonies before? Or is it, yeah. is it am I going to be like, oh, I, don't, I missed this boat by like 25 years? No, you should watch it. You should watch it, but Joey, listen to the episode that is about to air right now because okay one of our guests jordan poland clark had never seen it before and that's why i invited her on with mike manzi who went to the theater to see it so wow. like originally as a kid so we have a big spread of goonies watchers coming up next so uh listen and then make your choice but you should see it because it's part of the cultural zeitgeist and i think the biggest reason you should see it too is that so many other things today are influenced from it but will you enjoy it i don't know we'll see fascinating Well, that was a fun surprise from Joey and Bob. Can't wait for their new show. That really sounds like a fun experience. Nice little Memorial Day welcome. And I know what you're thinking. Why are we in the classroom if it's a holiday? Because that's what we do here in High School Slumber Party. You were out learning from home for so long, right? We got to make up the days and hang out on holidays, but I'm going to let you enjoy that barbecue food now. Mm-mm-mm. Sounds good. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother sleeping at Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. And is there another song I could leave you with? Come on. This has a great Cindy Lauper theme. We talk about it a little bit. The Goonies are good enough. Class dismissed.
again. again. I don't know how many. I don't know how many episodes in a row for our Corey and Corey series, but uh, you know, I know it's weighing on us, but it's it's fun too. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying things. It's been a blast. I like adding the guests, and I'm glad we split it up into two years, so we're not covering all of it this year. <laughs> Mike, it might even be three years with how many secret Corey for movies real. we found, but but more on that later. You mentioned a guest, and I'm so happy because this is this is truly a. Uh, uniting of the the hot dog gang here. I'm, I'm so happy about this. I mean, look, the original hot dog gang had Joey Lewandowski. I wasn't a part of it, but I've officially replaced him in the gang because he doesn't respond to our <laughs> Facebook group chat. He's on notice right now. But Jordan, welcome. Welcome back to High School Slumber Party. It's been a while. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I haven't even made a podcast during the whole pandemic, I don't think. So this is like extra exciting. And I'm just really glad to be a part of anything that's called the hot dog gang. So, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had a little fun with that, and that's like somewhat high school slumber party related. Yeah, yeah, right. It goes oh, back yeah, that's to, how we got flying. here, right? Yeah, it goes back to flying. You know, the movie that uh, Joey Jordan and myself discovered over on Keanu Club, one of his earlier outings, uh, where he has a minor role, but. You know, one of the most amazing scenes uh, in cinema history involving a hot dog. So, you know, I think thus the gang was formed officially. <laughs> I take it very seriously. I've written an essay about the hot dog scene. Like, it's very important to me. A beautiful spoken word version of that essay, I might add. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> so you might not have recorded a podcast, but you've clearly been busy. I just talk to myself now. It's a little bit of a different vibe. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this has been really a really awesome group chat because we just send each other hot dog photos, (laughs) hot dog tattoos, a lot of those. Uh, I mean, we had a little hot dog challenge early on. I got myself sick with with my too many ingredients on my hot dog, but it's been great. I I don't think there's a hot dog in this movie today, but um, we're talking the Goonies. Um, Mike, since you've been on countless episodes in a row now, why don't you do the old school introductions and then, Jordan, you follow up and we'll get into this one. Sure. Uh, Mike Manzi, RHS, Class of 97, go Maroons. There you go. Nice, short, sweet. Get it out of the way. (laughs) Is it my turn? Uh, Okay. Jordan Pullen Clark, Class of 04. Go Mountaineers? I still don't. I feel like we talk about this every time. Hmm. I still don't know what a Mountaineer is. I feel like they patrolled the mountains in the early days of America, maybe. Sure. Yeah. You could say anything right now, and I'd be like, yeah, that is, sounds like what you they know, do. like making sure you don't hunt that bear or do this or build a cabin over there, you know. Like that kind oh, they're of like a forest ranger. I like that version. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we're talking a classic today, The Goonies. And before anyone says, hey, that's not really a high school movie. Right, we're cheating a little bit, but there are high schoolers in the movie. There's three older kids, one, two. Jordan, you you were the first one on here to break the official only high school movie seal. It's a seal. I try not to break a lot, but when 8th grade came out, we covered it. It was awesome, and, you know, I'll I'll dip a little bit. And, of course, we are in our Two Corys series, and this is a Corey Feldman film, so that's kind of how we got here anyway. Mm -hmm. But, Jordan... This is your first on our Two Corys series, our Two Corys lap. Do you have any history first with either of the Corys? Are you familiar with their work? Do you know them at all? I am woefully ignorant of the Corys, which is like part of the reason why 
when you asked if I wanted to be on an episode, I was like, hmm, yeah, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I also have never seen Goonies before this. That's amazing. I can't wait to hear your <laughs> review of this movie. I feel like you're one of the last people I know that <laughs> might not have seen this movie. Well, it's a little behind the curtain of how uh, we roll here at High School Slumber Party. When I sent that oh. email looking for Corey guests, you had said, like, I hadn't seen any of these movies. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, wait. She hasn't seen the Goonies? Oh, she has to be on the Goonies episode. Just because whether you like it, dislike it, whatever, I feel like everyone has seen this movie. Yeah, it's like a reference point, I feel, right? In like cinema or in movie history or something. For sure, for sure. So I'm glad you agreed, and I'm glad we're going to get into it here. So yeah, never have seen the Goonies. What's your history with the Goonies at all? You're familiar with it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I mean, obviously I've heard of the movie. I did turn it on, and I was like, you know what? I don't know what this is about literally at all. Like I thought I would turn it on and have like some frame of reference for what would happen. And I truly didn't, which was surprising when it happened. But you know, there's stuff in it that I'm like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. And then I've listened to the theme song a lot, but not the Cindy Lauper version because Newfound Glory covered it on their first oh, From Your Screen oh, wow. to Your Stereo album. And it's like a good song. Like, I like their cover songs. So, you know, I know the theme, but not the original theme. So, like, you know, I came at it from like a pretty weird place. That's an awesome place, a very rare place. So that's why I'm excited about it. Mike, what is your history with the Goonies? Wow. So, like, probably couldn't be any different because uh i was there in 1985 in theaters i remember wow yeah i remember it vividly like this was right around the time where like our family really started going to movies a lot because i guess i was better of age you know like i was more well-behaved in theaters and stuff so like i was starting to remember these really well i remember gremlins goonies ghostbusters like three amigos and it was awesome like i had a great time in the theaters i remember playing Goonies with my neighbors, you know, afterwards that year and everything. Um, we'd try and, like, run around the neighborhood and, and like, look for trouble, I guess. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was there back in the day. And I was a Cindy Lauper fan at the time, you know. My brother was really into wrestling. She was on wrestling with Captain Lou Albano at the time. And so this song was, like, all over everywhere basically it was a hit you know Cindy Lauper was huge she is she's still big but like she was a megastar you know she was like it was like her and Madonna I think like as memory serves yeah I just periodically revisit this movie every once in a while I haven't seen it all the way through in like a good 10 years or so um, I was pretty surprised on what I remembered liking and what I ended up liking upon this watching uh, and yeah so pretty crazy this movie seems like it is supposed to be experienced in 1985 in a movie theater and like any (laughs) other way of experiencing it like i feel truly probably takes away from it that was kind of what i figured your watch was going to be like jordan because like to have zero nostalgia for this movie must be very weird so i think we have a great cross-section today of like just Goonie watchers from the never ever seen Goonies to seeing it in the theaters, which is still astonishing to me. To uh, me, who was a, a rental kid, right? Like my mom rented this one day, and I'd heard about it, and I watched it, and I saw it then. And frankly, it's not a movie that I've revisited a lot. I remember when I first saw it, I liked it, but I didn't love it for whatever reason. And then I kind of liked it a little bit later, the more times I saw it. But I haven't not seen this movie in over a decade, so. 
definitely, uh, you know, I think we're going to have a really fun conversation today. One of my favorite things about like rewatching movies after a long time is I, I end up liking sometimes liking different parts of the movie, but I still on a, on a whole enjoy it just as well, you know, but like as I get older, I see things from a different angle, I suppose. And like, for instance, this part, like I was way more into the Fratellis and that whole storyline <laughs> that I almost wanted like a prequel Fratelli movie at the end of this one. Interesting. Interesting. They were like in a different movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I say, felt that way be, for sure. It's so jarring, like the opening sequence and then the preceding sequence, like after that, just two completely different films. I had zero memory of them when I was watching today. I'm like, wait, what? I knew they were being chased by bad guys. I didn't realize they were like that, if that makes sense. Like a, <laughs> I'm, I'm muted because I don't want to ruin y'all talking by how hard I'm laughing. <laughs> but I just want to set the scene is like, I, I'm laughing nonstop. <laughs> it's so wild because this movie is filled with so much nostalgia already inside the filmmakers making it, like Steven Spielberg and oh, Richard Donner and stuff, and so they're infusing it with, like, their childhood as well, you know? And it's almost a blend, and it's almost like what, a, you know, a lot of suburban kids ended up being raised on, and they're straight out of, like, Ma Barker, you know? Like, she yeah. is, like, <laughs> you know, out of the old days of, like, the crazy West, uh, yeah, it's out of control. <laughs> she reminded me of something I'd see in DuckTales, you know? <laughs> Like, yeah, the yes, movies. they're, yeah, they're right? in like... a cartoon. <laughs> I wonder if the Beagle Boys and stuff were the inspiration, because those comics and Uncle Scrooge have been around long, long time. Oh, that's a good point. One of the first observations I made from the very beginning was like, I feel like this is referencing a lot of movies that I'm not getting. <laughs> is that true? Um, Yes and no. I also think it's like been referenced so many times in culture that it's almost like a retroactive thing to you. You're watching it like after mm -hmm. Stranger Things came out. Which like I mean, I couldn't stop thinking about how much better Stranger Things is than this. So it kind <laughs> of ruined this, honestly, because it's like, at this point, I've seen this movie, but way better. Right, that generation that's been raised on this is now elevating it, I guess, the material, right? And like, putting the, they've got more money and, and more experience to write it better, I suppose. But yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, Stephen King does a lot of stuff like this, too, right? Oh, like, for sure, because like, it is very similar to this as well. Right, yeah. Stranger Things, you know, Elephant in the Room, whatever, it's really like the course correction of the Goonies. Not that, again, mm. I don't think the Goonies is bad. I like the Goonies, but it's one of these things that, Jordan, I'm literally like watching this and I'm thinking, oh my God, Jordan's seeing this for the first time. If she's watched Stranger Things, this is just going to be like the people who created Stranger Things saw this and just, I feel like, took it to a different level. So again, yeah. we're, we're not here to sh shit on the Goonies completely. I'm a little bit here to shit on the Goonies. <laughs> yeah, we can still But I knew you would it, be like you know? that. I knew you would be like that because I'm like, just from perspective-wise, it's like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, even from my point of view, Brian, like, the template has now become more of, like, the prototype. You know what I'm saying? Like, this thing was once something that people are, are kind of, like, mining, I guess, for inspiration, and now it's just sort of, like, the first version of that, and you can just see, like, the 2.0, the 3.0, the 3.5 version you know as sort of the years go by and uh like you know it's not even their first but like it is so well known and predominant that like i guess you know it deserves its place so yeah that actually helps me want to shit on it a little less because i think you're right <laughs> okay. where would we be without it it's like uh people who tell you there's like this great film from the 1940s that 
you know, they loved growing up and you watch it and you're like, okay, but (laughs) you know, I've seen other movies. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a good thing they remade father of the bride because I couldn't make it through three minutes of the Spencer Tracy version because, you know, they have a, they have like a maid and and it's really difficult for me to watch that in the, in a modern context, you know? So it's sort of that type of situation. My great example, right? Like my mother loves the original father of the bride. And I've tried to watch it. I'm like, uh, I love the Steve Martin one, right? And there's like an Andy Garcia one apparently coming out. And maybe some kid will watch that one and hate the others. It's a, it's just the evolution of this world. I do want to talk about one thing before we really get into the movie and I read the back of the VHS. It's something we've all uh, kind of mentioned already. But I'm going to call it this idea of like generations of feral kids being raised and how that doesn't happen anymore right like um how did your parents treat you guys in your upbringing were you allowed to just go out and ride bikes and you know do things and you know be home for supper or was it that kind of what we see today which i mean i just see it from like people i know with kids where it's like they're on top of them 24 7 they can't even imagine um going to the movies with random people for example like and i'm not criticizing one way or the other because there's certainly a lot of crazies out there but yeah so mike as the senior member here who saw the goonies in theaters did you have kind of a feral upbringing or was it how was that (laughs) yeah i mean pretty much like it wasn't too far off you know from this movie i mean we didn't find a pirate ship and like murderers weren't chasing us or anything like that we weren't losing our house but like i had uh older brothers and sisters and by the time i sort of came along they had friends and they had brothers and sisters and my parents knew their parents and so there was already so i like came into like a community almost of kids in a weird Mm -hmm. way i remember the day i met my next door neighbors chris and neil like it's wild like i remember so many things about like i have kids from kindergarten that I live next door to, I'm still friends with and stuff. So like, we were pretty much un- supervising each other, I would say is one way to put it. Cause there always was sort of like a brand running around, like an older kid, not that they were put in charge, but that was like playing too, you know? And it, he seemed so much older, but he was probably only 12 or something like that, you know? And it was, again, like I now sound like the guy who talks about walking the school uphill in the snow both ways, because <laughs> there, there really was not a lot to do inside, right? Like you could read, you could watch a little TV, but we didn't even really have a lot of cable till a little later, you know, probably later in the 80s. Yeah, so like we were always outside riding bikes. I lived across the street from a school playing on the jungle gym, neighbor's house, backyard, like, yeah, kind of just like running rampant. However, though, like the other thing is a lot of moms and parents were just hanging out outside too right like they were not really keeping an eye on you but they could tell and there was a sense that there was sort of this weird little community watch going on behind the doors where like no one was gonna let anybody get into any serious mischief right or like someone would just run up and knock on a door and like get a parent or something like that so there was always like also a sense of sign of security as well but we were kind of feral at the time i guess interesting interesting i mean that again that plays obviously very much in the film how about you jordan what was uh your that kind of experience like i guess i have a really hard time actually remembering my childhood which is like an ongoing thing (laughs) so here's what i know both my parents worked and so for some years i would go to like a babysitter's house where it would be like me and sometimes a couple other kids but mostly it was like just her kids who were a 
lot older than me. So it was like a very small version of what Mike just said. It was like me and like an eighth grader who was like in charge of me (laughs) at her mom's house. But we didn't really venture outside the house all that much. And then I started doing gymnastics really seriously. And so that's what after school was. So like I was not feral at all, even though my parents were nowhere to be found. Gotcha, gotcha. And yeah, I was kind of in between. So my mom grew up in Manhattan, New York City in a very, very, very scary time in like the 70s and early, you know, 80s. And my dad, you know, immigrant here, but he also, you know, he grew up in Queens and he was definitely more feral, like in the city, but it's very different, right? Like there was a lot of fear back then. I didn't have suburban parents, so they weren't used to just letting me go out. So it was very hard to be able to do, you know, quote unquote, feral things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was born in the summer of Sam, you know, so like there was all that going on in the city even yeah. at that time in 79 and stuff like mike uh, um there was like a big like dividing line between the parents who had moved from the city to the suburbs and the parents or or the kids who had parents who grew up in the suburbs as well like half the kids in my school had no problem like me like no problem going into the city once we were you know like 17 18 whatever for a concert or just Not to hang out, like, regularly, but, you know, just, like, to go in. And then there was these kids who were raised by, like, suburban parents who were like, you're going into the city? Oh, my God. Like, I remember my wife now, but when um, she was my girlfriend at the time, early on in our relationship, I told, like, her stepdad that we had just been to Brooklyn, and he looked at me like I had a severed head with me. He's like, you went to Brooklyn? (laughs) It's insane. So I didn't necessarily have this. So one of the appeals of this movie early on was like, whoa, this is so cool, like, that these kids just kind of have the freedom. I know in the movie it's like, oh, don't go out, but it's also, it seems like they do this pretty regularly. One thing, though, I don't know if you guys feel this, too, but I feel like kids today do not do this. Mike, I know you're close with your nephews. Like, I'm, they must have had a very different upbringing than you did when it comes to these kind of things. And again, I'm not judging. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just it's different, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's kind of like it's less than I would have thought. Like, my nephew luckily discovered baseball at a pretty early age. So he's been out of the house playing baseball for like years now. He's I think he's uh, he's a Ten years old now, so like he's been playing baseball for like five years. Uh, if he's indoors playing Nintendo or something, it's a baseball game, right? Like if he's reading a book, it's baseball books and stuff. So at this age, like ten, eleven, he's hardly ever home. My niece, I'm a little more sort of like worried about, I guess. Like she really likes talking to her friends on the screens and and being indoors. And but she's an artist, so like she does a lot of painting and drawing and and markers and stuff. So that I'm I'm at least very happy about that. You know, it's not necessarily outdoor play but it's still you know mental stimulation and artistic expression and all that kind of thing uh however she does like to play outside right it's i think especially this year has been a lot of that time has been lost over the past uh Mm. you know 12 13 months and and it's just kind of slow going getting that back up again Um, but whenever i go over there or had been going over there in the backyard to sort of hang out with the dogs and play with the dogs, she'd come out and run around and blow the bubbles and like kick the soccer ball and like you know, playing the jungle gym and stuff. So I definitely just get the sense like early on, you know, they were much more indoors. Now that they're a bit older, they're sort of roaming around on bikes and doing their thing a bit more. That's cool. Do you think it also has to do with like location where like, look, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. Also in my brain a little bit, like where would we have even 
I mean, I guess you just wander around the neighborhood. I don't know. We started wandering around a lot more when we were teenagers. You know, like, when we were teenagers, we would just be like, I'm going out. And then we would go to the city. Like, we would do that shit when we were older. So, like, I guess I became more feral (laughs) as I got older. But as a kid... I don't even remember noticing like other kids do, but I'm curious if it would be different Mm -hmm. in a different location too. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I feel like me and my niece and nephew, at least my sister's kids, grew up in very similar sort of environments in that we're very close to school. So like when I was young, we would always just go across the street and play at the school, whether it was the field or the playground or whatever. And that's what my nephew does is he goes up the street and he's playing at the school on the field on that and there. So like that's their place to go, I guess. They haven't really been going inside their friends' houses and stuff, you know, but, like, I guess they would do that as well. They'd go to their friend's house, play in the backyard. But that's the thing, like, Jordan, right? Like, I did have, like, that sort of location for the kids to go and kind of congregate, and so does he because of their sort of proximity and everything. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, The three of us have pretty similar upbringings growing up in suburban new jersey you know but uh very curious to hear what other people think of like that aspect of it because that's like the first thing i'm drawn to here Mm. it seems to be more of like um like an age kind of discrepancy almost as a as well and maybe even more so because just because of like the advancements in leisure and activity since you know what i'm saying because that's true too yeah you mentioned video games and stuff yeah it's like you had to go outside (laughs) before to do anything at all yeah and like i think of like maybe even back to the future marty mcfly going back you know from the 80s to the 50s you know that is also sort of a culture shock in a way where he's like what are you kids doing for fun like this is so bizarre to me you don't you know tv just got invented like what did you do before tv it's like well what did you do before the internet marty and it's like this kind of like perpetual thing that keeps happening in culture yeah for sure i mean uh and by the way, that Back to the Future film, I think we need to cover it at some point, don't we? <laughs> I don't want to forget to read the back of the VHS in case there are some people out there like Jordan who had no idea what the Goonies was about. So <laughs> let's do it. Every week I read the back of the VHS, back of DVD, or back of whatever they give me. So I found a VHS copy on eBay, so I'm going to look at the back. And by the way, it's a little bit long, so bear with me. The Goonies, a tightly knit band of neighborhood friends who are breaking up. With greedy developers about to raise their area, the kids spend a final drizzly morning together trying to find a way to say goodbye. Instead, they find an authentic 17th century pirate map and begin a dazzling day-long quest for a treasure rich enough to save their homes. They enter a subterranean world filled with caverns, crooks, skeletons, booby traps, a once-mighty pirate ship, and a milk toast of a monster with a... Swivel pig, oh god, with swivel piglet ears and a face only Dr. Frankenstein could love. I didn't write that. Co executive producer Steven Spielberg and director Richard Donner combine their cinematic wizardry on The Goonies, which is part Hardy Boys, part Treasure Island, part our gang, and 100% fun. Okay, all right. It does bring up the amazing crew that put this together, which is, of course, legendary so in in steven spielberg's oeuvre he produced Mm -hmm. a bunch of things a bunch of things aside from his directing right but there are two movies that really stick out where he didn't like direct them officially but he had a super heavy hand in the production like he was there almost every day on set the first one is poltergeist which 
he wanted to direct but wasn't allowed to. Toby Hooper, the actual director, rest in peace. Yes. We should just say, though, I just watched Poltergeist again for the first time in, like, many, many, many years, and I was like, holy shit, this movie is good. Like, I didn't awesome. remember it being as good as it actually is. Really? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I... It's it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, in a way, like, simpler than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Just, like, well done. Just as a movie in general, and then as a scary movie. Like, it's a good scary movie on top of that, so... Anyway, sorry, that was a sidetrack, but an important Oh, I love sidetracks, though, because, you know, the famous story is that Spielberg just had all these ideas in his head, and three movies came out of this one idea, which was E.T., yeah. which is the family one of the alien, you know, coming by and, and that interaction. It was, of course, Close Encounters, which is Close Encounters, and Poltergeist was originally like an alien thing but he you know changed it to ghost but again i I love that idea that all three of those movies which are all like super acclaimed movies came from like one spielberg idea Uh, yeah i heard that et was supposed to have like kind of malicious aliens in it as well in the original draft and i think that was what was spun off into sort of the ghosts for poltergeist like yeah originated from like that section of the script et's family was supposed to be like theoretically the ghosts and poltergeist that's how they were like invading the home and mm-hmm. you know close encounters you can see how that was like the, almost the start of this really like would have been like a seven hour movie so i'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad they separated <laughs> it but in terms of this steven spielberg had the idea he, and if you watch you know things like et and spielberg stuff he loves the idea of like feral kids he loves the idea even going back to his upbringing and then Richard Donner, Mike, why don't you speak more on Richard Donner? Because I know you're more of a Donner expert than I am. I mean, although he didn't make it to Superman 3 that was bestowed upon to Richard Lester, uh, he did direct Superman. You know, he directed the Christopher Reeves, Gene Hackman, Superman by this point and was, you know, just huge because of that, you know, could kind of was like working with Spielberg. But he had been around before Spielberg. Like, I'm not that well versed in his early stuff but he did direct the omen the original omen so like between that and superman he could do an adventure movie with kids like it's just so kind of crazy about his sensibilities right like this movie feels like it's got a lot of genres mashed up into it and you know he's done two genres that seem you know super far apart not just two genres but i multiple times wrote down who is this for like what age group is this for so anyway continue that is our that is our official that'll come at the end right brian that's a a new high school party question so save your ideas for that jordan because okay okay we'll definitely talk about but it was like clear to me that the way it was directed was confusing to me interesting yeah and he would go on not to i don't think he would direct much uh, many more children's films he, he's more famous for the lethal weapon movies after this like th- that's what he directed i think he did all of those so uh and he, he went on to have a career and you know in his uh you know he's i believe he's still around but a few years ago it's funny because like everybody kind of referenced this when the snyder cut thing was uh was happening and it's stuff uh, there's a superman 2 richard donner cut that came out many oh. many years later because he was sort of asked to leave the project let's just say halfway through 
when Richard Lester stepped in. And so the theatrical cut was not what he sort of intended. And he got a hold of all the extra footage. And you know, Warner Brothers said, go ahead, like do your thing. And so uh, somewhere out there, there is this cool uh, extra cut of Superman 2. And if we're going to say like the big three people who put this film together... You know, Spielberg and Donner are obviously the two biggest, but when uh, Spielberg had this idea for this, he uh, commissioned mm-hmm. a, a person who became very famous after this, Chris Columbus, to do the, the script. So why, I thought were, you were going to say uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who is a well, producer she produced on this it. Film. I was going to yeah. get there. I was going to. I'm get sorry. There, <laughs> we were, Wait, can we I were talk talking about, about producers? So <laughs> can I talk about Christopher Columbus for a second? For sure. That that was the segue. So go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to read the other ones first. It only just occurred to me when we sat down to like the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh, the Fratellis are like the bad guys from Home Alone. Yep. <laughs> but like yeah. it's done much better in Home Alone. Like they're very cartoony, but I'm never bothered by it. I was like bothered by it in this. So to me, I was like, oh, this is just like Chris Columbus like did this better <laughs> later. He's also uh, referenced in this movie because he's involved with Gremlins. Gremlins mm-hmm. was his baby, uh, and Spielberg, you know, took that and turned it into what it is. And I think that was also R-rated when he brought that to uh, Amblin Entertainment, and they said, "No, we'll tone it down, but we'll give it to Joe Dante, who could knock it out of the park and stuff." So, like, they even reference Gremlins in this movie, and there's they reference Superman in this movie. So, like, back to that whole thing where it's like th- these guys are already pulling from nostalgia, and they're also trying to kind of like instill it in a weird way too with with the art that they're currently working on for sure for sure if you want to see also the evolution of chris columbus and kind of honestly jordan what you're talking about with this who's this movie made for question i think he eventually gets there with probably what his like masterpiece is is uh home alone and the home alone series but you know he writes this and there's a lot of stuff in here that yes for kids there's a lot of stuff in here you're like wait wait a second what is this but i think the middle ground between the kids movie that is home alone and this is adventures in babysitting which he writes and directs which has a lot of stuff that's kind of for kids but also like a lot of stuff where you're like huh that's kind of adult like too so i don't know whose fault that is it might be everyone's is like the interesting tone uh, of the goonies here but definitely chris columbus contributed it because if you look at his other work and including gremlins like you said mike the original like draft is r-rated like i think he has these whimsical ideas but originally fancied himself as an adult filmmaker i don't mean porn but a filmmaker for adults and then kind of realized hey my stuff works better for kids and tone that stuff down later in his career like that's like that's at least how i see it i've never talked to the person but Definitely a big contributor here. But uh, you guys mentioned another name here who would go on to be very famous. Mike, why don't you mention uh, her name again? Oh, so yeah, the, there's a credit here for Kathleen Kennedy as producer as well. So I hadn't known that, I guess, in the back of my head somehow. Like, she's in a lot of movies. Like, you know, she's been a producer for a very long time. Like, you know, Star Wars brought her to the forefront for sure, but like... She didn't just, they didn't just wake up and give her Star Wars. Like, she definitely built a career. Like, she's involved in Jurassic Park. A lot of Spielberg Yeah, E.T., right? I think, was one of her first that she produced. To be one of your first productions, man. Like, yeah. So that's, like, instantly, you know, I guess you kind of get, like, branded within the group as, like, one of the golden fingers on that hand of gold or something like that. But, I mean, 
Yeah, from what I understand, she works outside of this club, but she works very close with Spielberg as well. For sure. The, the three founders of Amblin are Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and her husband, Frank Marshall. So, like, they're very close, obviously, Spielberg and her. And uh, obviously, she again, she's the president of Lucasfilm now, so... I know, which makes it even hurt more that Spielberg hasn't directed a Star Wars film. <laughs> I just always wanted one out of him, but oh well. I mean, he's directed Indiana Jones, which is a Lucas yeah, thing, that's, which uh, we get a lot of that in this movie, too. Yeah, that's he calls that, that's his franchise. Like, he's like, I don't do Star Wars, I do Indiana Jones. <laughs> so let's talk production here. The interiors are filmed in Cal- California, but this is filmed mostly in Astoria, Oregon, um, which has become kind of a pilgrimage spot for fans of this movie. A lot of the sites are still there. Um, it sort of looks like that still. I'm told I've never been there. It's very much known as the town of the Goonies. The jail in this movie, like the prison that they break out of, is like the Oregon Film Museum now today just because of this movie. So that's kind of the importance that this brought on this old uh, Astoria, Oregon town. And... um uh, other production notes here, too, that we already mentioned Cindy Lauper and the song, so I don't know if we have to talk about it anymore. Mike, I'm a Cindy Lauper fan as well, so... <laughs> Wait, I do want to say just about the song, it's really weird where it shows up in the movie. <laughs> oh. But they're watching MTV. I mean... Yeah, no, 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 it, like, it makes sense in the movie, I guess, but like... <laughs> See, it's their theme song and it's like you don't hear it till the middle of the movie i don't know i was like this is weird but like it it works but i was like i don't know if i've ever seen a theme song placed like this before i have a not a similar grievance but also one where it's like this weird disconnect for me uh that the kids are actually on the track singing like they were in the music video and <laughs> it played on they're, they're the ones saying goonies 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 and all this kind of stuff so i was like there was this fourth wall coming crumbling down like for me every time because i remember as a kid waiting for that song to show up knowing it was attached to this movie and then being like kind of like caught off guard in not a good way that this is how they used it you know this it was like the way it's placed it was like a a record executive and a film executive got together and like planted it there oh for sure and that goes like there's a lot of product placement in this like kind of goes with that i feel like absolutely i mean everything steven silver touches at this point is gold and he's using it he's never shied away from the product placement or oh yes and like you know uh schindler's list and saving private ryan no one opens a domino's pizza box obviously but you know movies like this he doesn't care you know like let's fund the movie let's do this <laughs> liam neeson you mind turning that pepsi can a little bit right? <laughs> <God>. oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the pepsi can is like like blue in the movie but everything else is black and white god terrible <laughs> oh, so they should use a coke coca-cola can yeah coke would have been better <laughs> Regardless, yeah, I imagined on this watch, like, Cindy Lauper was the only celebrity who understood the plight of, like, you know, the uh, the goon docs there, and she had put, put out this, like, <laughs> charity record that was obviously unsuccessful, because she obviously knows them, but you're right, it breaks, it breaks the fourth wall here. <laughs> um, the cast, though, I really, really want to talk about this cast, because this is a hell of a cast that even on this watch i forgot all these people were in this movie but we are talking about it for a reason so i normally wouldn't lead with this character but i'm going to Corey feldman as mouth clark Devereaux is his full name the randomly spanish-speaking wise-ass loudmouth kid of the gang 
Um, Corey Haim auditioned for Mouth, by the way, and okay. Corey Feldman beat him out. And Mike, you and I have talked about this of how many movies they auditioned against each other before they actually became friends. So this is before contextually this is just before they started working together yes yes okay they kind of were like revolving around each other as there was at least four or five movies that one would beat the other out for so like back to back to back and until lost boys that's the first movie well, i think it's the next year right or maybe mm-hmm. the year after that like that where they just work together and they become friends but it was more like these things that they saw each other on auditions they hadn't really connected there were rivals and they kind of continued to be friendly rivals even while they were friends but lost boys was like hey so you're that other Corey, and that's kind of how they became the two Corys. but before this you know this is a feldman piece and feldman definitely had the early lead on the two Corys thing feldman booked you know stand by me and all things like that and haim was kind of second place until lucas and then eventually haim starts beating out feldman and they become friends, whatever. <laughs> it's neck and neck. It's Feldman. It's <laughs> now it's Feldman again. It's wild because, like, I guess as a casting agent, you hear there's two kids. They're hot. They're named Corey. They're both really good. But they couldn't be more different types at this point, I feel, right? Like, if you see Corey Haim's work, maybe not in person, but if you see his judging by his work, you're like, oh, he can play cool, calm, and introspective, that kind of thing. And you see Corey Feldman, you're like, oh, well, he's the loud, outgoing, kind of in-your-face kid. Like, I wonder if it was just a matter of like, all right, we got the two Corys. Like, we got one or the other, you know? We got our bases covered. If we want the bad kid, we've talked about this too, Brian, right? Like, it seems like they got a little pigeonholed. If we want the good Corey, we, we'd go with Haim. If we want the bad Corey, we go with Feldman. It's just like, what is the role <laughs> called but for? I think that's... I definitely feel like Mouth is a little more of like... A jerk, right? A little more of that. But from all, from all accounts, both of them kind of were a little bit of like loudmouth assholes in real mm-hmm. life, right? I mm-hmm. think that's more like Backstreet Boy syndrome. Like one of them had to be, yeah, you know, yeah, like but the that, bad boy, that... and one, of, and I think that was not because of them. I think that was just studio created. Well, yeah, but that kind of talk travels for miles in the industry, right? Like you know, so you just sort of develop a reputation, and if that's what just what it doesn't really matter how you present yourself Fair. in person it's like what if what's your work show me okay. they're like no this is who you are now essentially yeah because yeah, Corey Heyman interviews basically has said like or had said that like you know they saw him in lucas and that's who people wanted to cast him as and i don't know what the movie was maybe it was stand by me or this that they were like no feldman you're the wise cracking one you're like kind of the more of the bad boy and Haim's like the innocent whatever even though again they not their real-life personalities or whatever. One other thing that a lot of people mention about Corey Feldman that we've discussed, Mike, is the whole weirdo Michael Jackson thing. He's even a friend of Michael Jackson at this point. which oh. is Like when he was this young. Yeah, like wow. they weren't like... Cl- they'd get closer later where they'd become confidants, but like Michael Jackson has interacted with him. He's invited him to shows, apparently. During this filming, Steven Spielberg and Richard Donner brought the cast to a Michael Jackson concert at Dodger Stadium. Whoa. So I don't know if this is where they met or they had known each other at that point, but there's a couple allusions to Michael Jackson in the script and stuff like that. But yeah, so anyone who's wondering, I found in the research that that had already started here. Take that information huh. for what you will, people. But yes, interesting. He's right? got the uh, he's got the Prince shirt on. What are some of the iconic of the Prince Michael shirt. Jackson? I mean, he does like a uh, Sylvester Stallone impression, which I heard ad nauseum as a kid. Yo, Mikey, gotta go back home. <laughs> I got that to death. 
Um, but like, what uh, was Chunk the Michael Jackson makes an, thing? Chunk says Michael Jackson. Oh, right, right. Was, uh, Michael Jackson didn't come to use the bathroom, but his sister did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a couple others, like just like some of his mannerisms or whatever. Corey Feldman is a huge fan of Michael Jackson, even previous to meeting him as a kid. So I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm just putting the information out there. That's and Michael good. Jackson, freaking huge at the time. I mean, Corey's drinking Pepsi. Michael Jackson had that incident on the set around this time where he got his scalp burned from filming a Pepsi commercial and was rushed to the hospital. And, you know, I, you guys ever hear about that? I'm sure you've yeah. heard that somewhere. Yeah. So like that was like around this time too. So, I mean, it's all coming together as you said on one of the Corey episodes mike that mj at the time was not michael jordan it was michael jackson and he was the biggest yeah, star in the yeah. world at everything so yeah again take that for what it is for the rest of the cast though a lot of interesting names here sean astin is mikey you know the, our lead here this is a sean astin film this is his first major lead i obviously knew sean astin from a bunch of stuff we talked about him here on encino man but, of course, you know, Lord of the Rings, Rudy, which we talked about recently. <laughs> Not on the show, but, you know, we alluded to Rudy as well. I didn't realize that he came from, like, famous parentage. I didn't realize. I didn't either <laughs> until I Googled it yesterday. <laughs> that's that's how I know him, because I grew up with his parents on TV, too. I didn't realize late. that. I, I had no idea. So, uh, Patty Duke is his mom, and his dad is, like, kind yeah. of some rich newspaper publisher in LA but like there was a lot of rumors of who his dad really was um he, for years he thought it was Desi Arnaz Jr which would have been crazy but he was raised by the dude who played Gomez Adams on the Adams family he's a he's a John show Astin. yeah John Aston he's a showbiz child which, well, again, so that so. made me really wonder because I know neither Corey fared well you know as adults and, mm. you know, that's such a common story with kid actors. Mm -hmm. And so it really made me think, like, did Sean Astin do better because he had parents who knew what to protect him from mm. because they knew the biz? Like, I just find that a really interesting thing to think about. It's it's a fair assessment, Jordan. It really is. Because, you yeah. know, when you look at that dividing line, he certainly had people like, oh, no. I mean, I'm sure his mother was like, no don't spend alone time with that person or you can trust this person. It's a really, really fair assessment. Again, we yeah. weren't, we don't know we weren't there, but Hey, <laughs> it, it definitely makes sense. And Patty Duke, wasn't she Helen Keller in the miracle worker? Yeah. Or is it like, she's a child star herself, you know? So like, and she Patty went through Duke it show. for sure. Yeah. So I'm sure that absolutely helped. And, and and Sean Austin, you know, being now he's like a he's like a cult star, like at this point and everything, like in the horror community. But yeah, you know, also probably being so well known and is such a recognizable person, being able to sort of teach him how to navigate that and you know recognition and, and everything. So. And and look at uh, Desi Arnaz Jr., who thought he was his father, so would actually like take him out and do things and he has like mm. super famous show his parents as Arnaz and Lucille Ball so yeah, definitely yeah. you know the line goes along there and I, again I had no idea that our our little Samwise had such a Hollywood <laughs> lineage here I did find this interesting thing on Wikipedia that his actual first starring role was not this but it was a TV movie called Please Don't Hit Me Mom which was like <laughs> I don't mean to laugh but it's like an anti-abuse like TV movie or whatever, and his actual mom, Patty Duke, played his mom, Whoa. an abusive mom in the movie. I'm like, what? 
Oh man, that's wild. That's psychologically messed up, I guess, a little bit. Like, we're going to work today, but my mom is only going to pretend to hit me at work, so. That's insane. That's like a real mommy dearest kind of situation. <laughs> uh, Sean Austin, by the way, also showed up season three, I think, Stranger Things, season two. Season For sure, and that's sure. definitely like One an illusion here. Oh, sorry, illusion of this film. So his brother is played by another... Uh, now A-lister, right? Josh Brolin. Praise- I couldn't believe it when I Googled that one. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Brand. <Just> stud. <laughs> Crazy, right? Okay. He was so adorable. You would love the movie Thrashing. Uh, For sure. Because, yeah, because he, it's all him on a skateboard in sunny Los Angeles doing skateboard stuff. He's hilarious. He kind of quit acting a little bit before getting back into it. So a lot of people forget he was in Goonies or just like don't associate him with that. This is the first watch I ever had that I knew that that was Josh Brolin going in. Like my childhood watches or even like watching in college or whatever didn't register with me or I didn't realize or whatever. But this is insane that that's him. Just insane. Thanos himself. Also crazy famous parents, like his dad, yeah. James Brolin, and then his stepmom is um, Barbara, Barbara Streisand, Streisand, right? Yes. So crazy. Very crazy. Um, as we run through the rest of the cast, though, uh, Jeff Cohen is Chunk, who was teased so much about his weight in <clears throat> real life that he ended up like quitting acting. This movie's so fatphobic. It's really bad. Oh, oh my God. It's yes, so bad sure. because he's he's the best actor in the whole movie, too. It's he's a shame great. He never went on. Yeah, he's amazing. Well, he's, he's a very... beyond his years. He's a very, very successful entertainment lawyer now, so he's still making money off Hollywood, so... Uh, good, okay. good for him. But definitely, he struggled with that, and like you know, in high school, lost all the weight. If you look at pictures of him now, he doesn't look look like that at all. And not that it matters, <laughs> but I mean, like it was. Just, I feel bad for the kid if people. But he's probably like, trapped in a prison where he is not allowed to look like that. You know, it's like sad, he can't go right. back. He can't go back to that. It's it's crazy, guys, because like we're talking about Chunk mentioning the Adams family when I was younger but not maybe a little later than this more around like fifth grade I was pretty overweight myself and I was called like uh, Pugsley Adam and things like that and, and so like it was uh, definitely a sign of the times this character there you know crazy crazy to think about and you're right he's great though he is amazing he's so good so shout out to Jeff Cohen I'm sure he gets enough yeah, shout outs yeah. but yeah good for I him I mean I can't believe though Mel Brooks didn't like go adopt this kid or something like that and just write movies for him he's just so great <laughs> jonathan k hua kwan played uh data the famous data i knew him from uh, temple of doom of course he was my favorite as a kid with the gadgets because i think when you watch this movie as a child gadgets are really appealing to you or whatever Carrie Green, who we talked about the other day, Mike, from Lucas in the film. So she worked with both Corys at at this point, which is great. Mm, Interesting. Other people of note, Martha Plimpton, who, you know, has won an Emmy for her later work. I think, I forgot, oh, her show was called Raising Hope. But she's a career actor, right? She plays Steph here, which is like the barb of this movie. She was so cool and androgynous in this, like, especially after she lost her glasses. Like, I loved her she style. She was so cool. Yeah. As an adult, favorite character. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Crazy. Those of you keeping score at home, Data as a kid, Steph as an adult. So, <laughs> Anyone else we should mention? First, let's talk about the Fratellis real quick because, I mean, bang, bang up 
casting job right here with like all star oh, yeah. B list actors, like character actors of all time. And Ramsey. Someone give her an Oscar. Like tomorrow. Like keep every year they should just give her an Oscar. I love her performance. Kids suck. Like, oh my god. I'm so glad that that's I, in the movie. I get it, but again, it just felt like it was from such a different movie, Mike. It would just yeah. like I guess, I guess. I don't know, man. I mean, like, maybe it's just, that's the thing. As a kid, like, a lot of the adult stuff went over my head, right? So what she reminded me of a lot was my grandma, my mom's mom, who didn't look that different. She was like, <laughs> you know, and, and was nice, was was wonderful person and stuff. But it just, I couldn't take, even back as a kid, like, I wasn't threatened by her. And I don't feel like I took her seriously. And I feel like... I knew to some level they weren't in any real danger. It was more like a cartoon or something like that going on here. So her and, and her sons have always sort of, or at least, you know, her and Joe Pantoliano and Robert Davi, like their dynamic has always just kind of stuck with me when it comes to like, they're like three stooges or something. You know what I'm saying? Like classic sort of comedy trios or something. Yeah, you're right. Joey Pants, uh, of course, Sopranos, Matrix, all that kind of stuff, is one of the, the sons, Francis, and Jake is played by Robert Davi, who I always remember him from Die Hard, but uh, you know he's in the second Predator as well. <laughs> License to Kill. License also. to Kill, Bond. too. Yeah. But I, I gotta ask, as a, as a half-Italian American that you are, Michael Manzi, did you find their performance to be a little bit stereotypical and offensive or were you okay with it i mean you know then or now as a kid i couldn't tell no now (laughs) (laughs) i know i'm joking well no no i mean aside from the fact that all italian americans are affiliated with la costra nostra the mafia you know we all get tied back to that in some way we're i'm I'm joking we're not all (laughs) criminals it's very stereotypical me but this is not like goodfellas i don't know i thought it was light-hearted i like how he sang the opera i thought it was just more sort of like there's sort of like a world, very sort of worldly feel to the characters in this movie. You know, you you have Asian characters, you have Jewish characters, you have Italian characters, right? Like, black characters. Oh wait, black. Yeah, mouth might be Spanish. He knows Spanish. <laughs> He's but like, definitely not did Spanish. They, did they ever explain why he knows all the I don't languages? Know <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's like a bunch of stuff that I'm like. Did I just miss them explaining this, or did they just not care to explain this? Mouth, they do explain that he knows Spanish, but I thought he really they don't, didn't. Like, they don't no, know I thought so too at first, and then I was like, oh no, he really does. I feel like they also implied that he knew other languages too. Maybe that's why his name is Mouth. Because... Maybe, he's, <laughs> maybe he's just a language genius. I'm not sure. Mike, I just was putting it like in a perspective as like a Latin American. Like if I was watching this now and there was like a bad Latin American gang in this terrorizing things i guess it would matter how they were played or whatever but i was just curious if it was like too yeah. stereotypy yeah no i'm not gonna go writing any letters no, don't <laughs> worry about that. like i mean because look like honestly it also portrays uh bald people poorly right like it you know, portrays <laughs> everybody poorly if you want to get it if you really want to get into it this is not good for anybody really <laughs> true yeah i mean Clearly, they weren't considering, you know, feelings, I guess, while they were making this movie. I feel like that's a good descriptor of a lot of things in general, but, like, especially in the 70s, like, you know, like, they were not considering feelings, period, end of sentence. (laughs) Speaking of a character who, I don't know, might be controversial today is Sloth. You can't do Sloth today. That's not I don't think so. I mean, it wasn't okay then, but, like, now we know that you really can't can't do that yeah john yeah, matsukot's yeah. 
Mazuka, a famous uh, football player who kind of was transitioning to acting at this point, played him. Sloth is a very interesting character. Obviously, you know, he's the brother of the Fratellis. He's a Fratelli as well, but he's just kind of kept in a dark basement. But I don't think at any point they make it seem like that's a good thing, right? He ends up being a very sympathetic character who what's it called chunk and him really form like a nice little bond but yeah but that's I, also kind of messed up too like they were like oh put the fat kid with the disabled guy yeah, like link up the two that sucks. outsiders yeah like link up the two outsiders because they're the only ones yeah. who will understand each other <laughs> i mean you know it's just you know yeah like yeah, you said it can't yeah. be done today that's it's, for sure it's also tough the the sloth character is Nowadays, it's hard. I mean, as a kid, like, I just thought he was more of, like, a monster, you know, the goon in The Goonies. Like, he reminded me, you know, maybe nowadays if you did it, he'd have to be, like, a full-on Frankenstein or something, right? Like, the well, that's why, scientists. I mean, that's why all the stuff today is better, because they they do replace that, like, role mm-hmm. with, a- with actual monsters, right? And actual, yeah. like, unknown things that are not offensive you know and things that you know maybe i can't i can't speak for monsters maybe it is offensive (laughs) to actual (laughs) monsters and aliens (laughs) you know but yeah it's it's actually revealed towards the end that i mean mama fratelli she's not gonna win any prizes no one's sending her flowers but she's the real monster here she you know she dropped sloth on on his head when he was a child and that could have resulted in the developmental learning disabilities and his appearance as well the deformities and stuff but yeah it's strange that it's portrayed that they can't control him because he's he he's like want, wants to be accepted right like he will help out or do whatever yeah he's know? a great character like once yeah. like once he does become friends with Chunk. He's a great addition to the movie. I mean, uh, yeah, I agree. It's just, again, if you put it best, would be done differently today, you know? <laughs> well, we do have a lot to talk about today in this movie, and we've already talked whew, for a while. So let's uh, let's get into it. Let's get into just the beginning of this movie and maybe some of our favorite moments, not so favorite moments, whatever you want to talk about. But I just do want to discuss the opening here, which I thought was pretty effective. They basically introduced us to a lot of characters and showed a lot of things uh, during this kind of police chase of the Fratellis escaping prison. What did you think of this, I guess, overall, you know, this chase opening before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the film and, and the the goondocks being uh, taken over by a country club or whatever. This is when I was like, oh, I don't know what this movie is about. Am I watching the right movie? I was extremely <laughs> confused. Yeah, I remember being confused as a kid as to about like the, the breakout of the prison and everything, but I love how they introduce all the characters. Like, it's a real great use of the title sequence right like i would love more movies to do something kind of like this where they're introducing the cast uh they're sort of like around town doing their thing on a saturday morning and then this car chase is like linking them all together uh i thought that was pretty cool yeah this like as a kid i was very confused by this but knowing about the movie i thought it was a cool way now to see everyone where they're at kind of at the beginning of this story we learn that Basically, a country club is buying this whole neighborhood, which seems, like, weird today. I mean, as someone who's, like, hmm. attempted to try to buy a home, you know, and 
have been unsuccessful in this crappy housing market. I'm like, these homes are great. Like, they try to depict this part of town <laughs> as, like, the crappy part of town. I'm like, I'd love to live there. They have an awesome view of the ocean. I, I would live in any of these homes. So, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess for the it 80s, more like, it's a crappy part of town. It seemed more like just a straight-up buyout situation or something like that where, I don't know, someone came in with a whole bunch of money and just threw it down and said, we're buying all these houses, like, get out or something. Like, here's well, your check. Yes and no, because the whole plot of the movie is that the kids are looking for money, it's like, oh, so right, they can right, right. keep their, I guess, like, do a counter offer. So it's not that simple, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but maybe the houses are not owned by them. Maybe they're owned by the country club or whatever for, and then maybe they're renting them and they need to pay back. I, I don't know. That you both also can't explain this makes me feel so much better because this was another thing where I was like, did I like not pay attention yeah. to this or did they not explain? Because I won't even lie. I had a hard time paying attention to this. And so there might be stuff that I just totally missed, but I was very confused. So this was a thing, you know, every time I watch it, I'm, I'm sure there's some deleted scenes they just threw away because the, the kids aren't in them. You know, that's like the dad at work dealing with the other parents or whatever. And so it almost gives it a sense of like, well, the kids aren't even really sure what the fuck is going mm, on, right? Like, they're not point. 100% positive about, like, the situation. They just know that they're all moving and, like, to different states as well, and they're going to be separated and things. So, like, I definitely I wasn't thinking about that as a kid, but this time around, whenever there was some sort of logical loophole or something like that, uh, I just sort of chalked it up to, like, kid mentality, sort of, like, trying to get me into their state of mind a little better. This is, was an almost two-hour movie, and apparently a lot wound up on the cutting room floor. Some stuff oh, that had... At least the Goonie cut. Well, it some shows. stuff... Some stuff has been lost. Oh, we need a movie called Goonies 2, looking for the lost footage. <laughs> At the end, uh, Data mentions that they encountered an octopus. And on this watch, I'm like, wait, what? I don't remember that. Yes, yes. Ne- never saw the octopus until one day on television when saw the octopus. It was there. It's in, the te- it's in a television cut of this movie that I've only ever seen once. Yeah, so that television cut has like three or four extra scenes, and apparently there's even more. I think they're probably like all totaled up. It's probably three hours of footage. And they decided to go this kind of route that I think you're alluding to, Mike, that makes a lot of sense now that where it's just like, oh, this stuff doesn't matter. We're kind of going to gear this toward to be a kid's movie. That's why you don't really see the dad. He's alluded to. You see him, but like, there's not big dad scenes like, I need to buy the this back for my family. Like, You don't see any of that. Like, He just kind of shows up at the end and you know, one or two moments here or there. The mom is definitely more featured, you know, Mrs. Walsh or whatever. But yeah, so just to answer the deleted scenes question, they do exist. Not all of them have been seen. There is no, you know, Donner cut of, <laughs> of the Goonies out there. Maybe one day, who knows? But if there's anything like that, I mean, Mike, you offer a really solid assessment. Maybe we're getting the point of view of the kids who, like you said, really can't explain why they have to move to various places, but they do know that they need to get the money and that's what's going to stop things. So, yeah. I forget what movie made me have that realization, but on Wistful Thinking, my now defunct podcast, but please go back and listen to it. There's three years of back episodes. <laughs> we, we ended up watching a lot of kids stuff and I had the realization at some point that 
most kids movies make more sense if you just assume that everything that's happening is from the kids point of view because then it doesn't have to make sense i mean yeah i mean that's a really really good call and it's (laughs) it's true and i feel like it's definitely true here not everything is kid friendly though one of the first scenes is like a guy who we think has hung himself you know i I couldn't believe it i was like this just started. I don't know what movie I'm watching. And this guy hung himself? He he didn't, for the record, for anyone who's never seen <laughs> this. It was fake. But, st- but later, there is a real dead body, like, for a while. Yeah, yeah. With, like, a bullet hole in his head. Uh, yep. It's pretty heavy. It's, you know, there's, there's gun violence. There's, yeah, murder. They, I mean, they curse a lot, which, like, actually, like, I'm like, no, that makes sense. <laughs> But there's also, like, a statue with a dick, like, prominently <laughs> featured for, like, again, like, a while. It's not just, like, oh, they show this statue one time. Like, they keep show because the dick falls off mm-hmm. the yes, statue. Yes. So they keep showing it, it over, which is funny. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, but it's just, like, who is this for? It is David, right? It is yeah. Michelangelo's David. So I guess that, like, is how they were able to get away with that joke. But Jordan... The the whole movie's a dick joke. One eyed Willie. Yeah, One eyed Willie so. is the pirate. I didn't even think about that. Oh my god! When that dawned on me, like somewhere around high school, I lost my brain. Like I literally have a new brain because I. <laughs> <laughs> but there are all people we know, you know, whether they're the same person or not, that will could possibly come on this podcast and be like, "Well, things are different today, right?" Like kids at the time had more of a tolerance for the language and the kind of jokes than kids, the sheltered kids of today. I'm not saying I'm one of those people or whatever, but I I guess, Mike, as a kid of the day, do you remember some things being like too adult-like? And if you don't remember, I totally forgive you for that. It was a long time ago. But Mm -hmm. is there any credence to, you know, someone who would say that, like, you know, people who say that like we're a little too soft these days and and this is more well, realistic interpretation of what kids were talking about. I mean, I don't think kids are too soft these days. Kids these days scare the shit out of me. I mean, <laughs> have you seen Euphoria? Like, on HBO? Like, um, so, like, I don't think that personally. And uh, no, I mean, even, like, when I was younger, we could watch what we wanted to watch, okay? And they could curse on those movies and things, but I couldn't curse at home. Like, if I said shit or fuck at home, like, that might be the one thing that would, like, drive my parents to, like, you know, hit me or something, like slap my slap my ass if I said a curse or, or something like that. So, like, you know, rules are still rules, you know. They're still around, and they still wanted me to be, like, morally okay. And then when you go out, of course, you have to let it rip, like, and you, you do curse around your friends and stuff. But at home, no, I would always try to, like, behave. I think, like, there's outside behavior and indoor behavior, right? Like, my mom would always say, We're, you know, you're not raised in a barn, you know, like that kind of thing. So keep that stuff for outside of the house. Just something I wanted to bring up, because I'm sure there's going to be people listening right now who, you know, who are anti our wokeness with some of the things we're saying. It, it is fair to think about. So as we watch the movie and we, you know, we find the cool attic with fun stuff, that's something just as like a history buff I loved as a kid, seeing that attic with all that like extra museum stuff. It's an attic I definitely wanted to enter. I felt like my attic growing up was really boring. My mom was someone who just threw out everything and 
you know, I'm very opposite of her, but she's just very anti-hoarder, so I didn't have a cool attic. Very upset about that. But, you know, uh, hijinks ensue when we get into our, like, mission to follow uh, this treasure map and find this treasure. Um, So what were some of your favorite moments or least favorite moments or just moments you want to talk about in regards to the Goonies here? I want to stay at the house for a second and say that the mom has the funniest line in the whole movie. (laughs) What's that? When she says, (laughs) because they're like packing stuff i guess to leave because they're like moving the next day which is like they haven't done nearly enough packing for when they're supposed to be moving fine but she <laughs> says i would really like the house clean before they tear it down oh yeah which i thought yeah. was so funny <laughs> the whole thing with the maid too so you know in the house we see Corey uh, feldman he's the spanish translator and he's saying like all this stuff to the maid like separate the drugs and things like that, that. Was, he was so mean he was very I thought that mean. was so mean i did not like that <laughs> um, he was very mean i felt i even watching as a kid i felt bad for this maid yeah like she, she didn't know what she was getting into like really and and they really made things worse for her mike anything you wanted to anything before we get into the treasure you wanted to talk about or i mean we should probably i mean i, I can't mention what I want to talk about without having to glaze over at least the truffle shuffle, but um, <laughs> I, I like the like Rube Goldberg fence opening machine in his front yard. They're definitely not packing that up. I also really liked that. And then like going, like, you know, watching the rest of the movie, I was like, this was just like somebody wanted to build a bunch of shit. And so they made this movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, that was a good foreshadowing because there's going to be a lot of those booby traps that are like Rube Goldberg machines, you know, that just like chain reactions and things. For sure. And again, Data controls a lot of them with his like, I don't know, there's official names for everything. Not all of them work. <laughs> so, so Brian, real quick about Data and him being sort of obsessed with James Bond. We know that Spielberg is obsessed with James Bond, right? And I even was rewatching Jaws recently and sent you a photo that uh, inside of one, the shark that they do catch first, they have a license plate. It says 007 mm-hmm. on it. This is sort of the thing, right? Like this is one of the references that's packed in there. It's part of the zeitgeist. So like, of course, like a little kid would want to grow up to be you know like a like a high-tech q or a secret agent or something like that yeah and again i love data he's super cool like in in the actor too as well wait i just want to say too like i will probably continue to shit on this movie a little bit part of it is because my brain now if i watch a movie for like more than 10 minutes and it's only male characters i automatically don't care anymore no i was saying that's something i wanted to bring up the end uh, we kind of alluded to oh we can save it we can save it no 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 let's let's do it now because i just uh. think it really like i can't like i i can't care about this you know like that's what it is it's not it's not that i like actively dislike it but there's no nostalgia in this movie for me and to me i'm just like shrug Steven Spielberg cast a bunch of dude kids <laughs> and like lived out his own fit. And it's just like, I don't care. You know, <laughs> like that's all. I don't care anymore. Part like aside from the plot being a little bit challenging sometimes as far as making sense, like I think it's just really hard for me to feel engaged with content like this anymore. Yeah, and they don't make it any easier where like, you know, uh, Mama Fratelli is like, uh, you know, wanted criminal, right? Like, yeah, you have her, she's a woman. and then you, you have, have Andy, the, the who's mom sort of mom. like body obs- 
Yeah, the yeah. mom who's oh also like crippled with, yeah. the, with the arm. Andy who's like body obsessed. Yeah, and that's then... what I when I said this movie's fat phobic, it's not just chunk. Like she's really worried about how like fat and ugly she's gonna be. It's like that doesn't even need to be in the context of this movie. Like why? Why is that a thing that that character needs to say? You know. My biggest takeaway from it all is the fact that. Today, when you see Stranger Things, they really make an effort to be in- inclusive. And that's important to them, not just like to check off boxes, right? But it's for someone theoretically like you, Jordan, who's watching and is like, oh, I can relate to this well, character. In str- so, in st- like, I agree and I disagree, right? Like, in Stranger Things, you know, the female characters are certainly better. You still have a mom and you still have, like, these two older female characters who are way more developed and interesting than, and important to the plot than in this movie. So cool. But then you also have Eleven, who is, like, a total outsider, right? And then you have this yeah, group of dudes. she's a science experiment. Yeah, yeah, she's literally a science experiment. <laughs> and then you have this group of, you know, male children. But I think in Stranger Things, having them all be boys actually does serve the plot some, right? Like, I think you probably could have got some girls. They do. There's a girl in the second season, isn't there? Mm -hmm. So it's like you throw her in and that group of kids isn't all that different. So yeah, they did better, but still not great. It's still a show where the main plot revolves around male characters. For and sure. The are all othered in some way. Yeah, so, and it does also feel... Barb almost, dies, uh, and Barb was so cool. <laughs> yeah, I love Barb. But, I mean, I, I think it's... Uh, maybe that was a bad example, but it is like... No, I think it was a good example. M- more importantly, it's. I feel like it's part of the conversation today. Yeah, It's yeah. very clear that at this point, it's not that they purposely try to exclude uh, characters that would be more inclusive. It wasn't even a thought to them that they should do that. Like, which is insane. Like, it's just so it's different. Extremely upsetting. <laughs> yeah, and I wouldn't even be surprised if there were no female Goonies in this movie. And you know, I mean, I'm just I have no proof of this or anything. But it would seem maybe Kathleen Kennedy was like, no, 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 no. Like, girls like to have adventures and go tomb raiding, and you know what I'm saying? Like, they need to be out there having you know part of the adventure. Right. And it, this is the best you just this is the best you get at the but time. Who, but who are the in... girls though? Like you know, like Car- Carrie Green, who I love as an actor, but she's afraid of things. You know what I mean? She's screaming. Well, yeah, that's she, that's she's yeah, kissing well, that's boys. The you know yeah, she's I mean? just sure a love interest. The like that's the only reason she's <laughs> there. Because even she is centering her. She's centering her experience around, like, I have a crush on this dude. And that's what this is about for her, mostly. Right, right. I mean, I'm not saying it's a successful integration by any means, but it does sort of feel like, um, okay, we'll we'll give you some girl goonies, but, like, they're not going to be well-rounded and developed and you know, like realistic, right? Like well, I, we're going to have to like move, movieify them and sort of stereotype them in, in a way or whatever like that, just to get it by uh, the odd. I don't know. I even hope whoever, you're right. You know, Mike, the, because, the suits, the suits. I even hope you're right, Mike, because I, I hope that that was a conversation. I'm assuming, like I said, that that conversation didn't even happen. I'm assuming that it was just like... Oh, no. I'm sure someone had to stand up and say, there has to be girl goonies. Like, this is... this is. I don't think so, because like, we even talk about movies no. five years ago where it wasn't even, like, part of the conversation. And again, I'm just... I don't think those voices were in the room. Maybe... I don't want to... Look, I don't know. We weren't there. Maybe Kath... I hope Kathleen Kennedy voiced her uh, opinion or whatever when it came to this, but <laughs> it just seemed so 
absent to me of any idea of that. Um, so, Jordan, your opinion there is completely, I think, like it makes total sense to me. And it's something that I definitely, definitely noticed on this watch that there was, it just felt like there was zero effort for that. And a lot of that, Mike, goes back to what you said. These movies of this era, as great as some of them are, as nostalgic as we feel for some of them, they weren't even like really a um, microcosm of what people were like in the 80s as much as they were like kids growing up in the 50s and 60s sometimes, like Spielberg growing up um, and his own perception of things. So there is a little bit of that to hear. I, I don't know, again, the feralness, we'll go back to that of an 80s kid, but it certainly seems like in the 50s, Every kid did that, you know, be home for supper kind of thing. <laughs> so, it, again, it, it's something I'm glad we brought up. And uh, Jordan, I'll, I'll say again, every, I was watching this movie today thinking that this was your first watch. And there's so many times I said, oh, no. Oh, no. Because <laughs> like if, if it was my first watch, I would be super disconnected as well to, to so many things. And that's coming from even my perspective, not the perspective uh, of a woman, you know. So I can't only imagine uh, how disconnected you must have felt at times to this uh you know and i don't i'm not apologizing for your donner i don't really care but you know i'm happy you're here because we're having good conversation but uh yeah i mean i don't know how to get around that to be honest with you no you can't i mean it's i just like i'm glad that most people i talk to now like have that lens you know especially men you know they at least have have the lens now you know and like that's it's a good start at least if we can all look at something and agree like that's not nope <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so interesting like something like this something very similar to this that works so much better is something like stand by me right where it is the feral kids out and about you know looking for a dead body uh these kids are looking for a dead body in a way but like <laughs> it's set it's set in the past right when those were the ideals and the mores and stuff and like you say i think brian makes a lot of sense where it's like these filmmakers are taking their experience and putting it in modern day where it's there's a disconnect or like it won't the the connection won't last forever right things like we're talking about now happen where where ideas change and and things like that right perspective shifts and things and stuff like that so it was really smart with like rob reiner and stephen king on stand by me to like keep it in the era for the most part, right? Like looking back now, as much as I was running around playing Goonies, I don't feel like we were these kids, you know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like we were this kind of mean to each other and stuff like that. Like, like things like that didn't really cross our mind. And it just goes to this kind of tradition to this storytelling tradition of um, the people who made Stranger Things, uh, obviously idolized this. The people, uh, one day people will make something that idolized Stranger Things. And, you know, the people who made Goonies probably read a lot of, uh, I don't know, maybe Mark Twain or <laughs> Treasure Island or things like that, right? Like, yeah, I think Hardy Boys. Hardy Boys, Hardy Boys, great. Right? And then yeah, yeah. Probably the, the writers of Hardy Boys read, like I said, Treasure Island. And then people before that read other shit. And it's just, it's it's weird, but it's also kind of awesome how we kind of mold things for our own time. So I mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. There is something there. Yeah. Though. My one stranger thing note, cause I haven't said anything about them yet. And I love that show really. I haven't said too much. Well, I've said something, but anyway, they, they did the same thing, right? Like they kept it in the eighties and they were like, let's keep these 80, let's make them eighties kids. Let's not set this in the year, you know, 2000. Right. So like, that's sort of my comparison to the Goonies is like, 
Yeah, where it's like if this had been set in the 50s, we'd be having a different conversation right now. That's That's super interesting to think about. For sure. Yeah, that's a really good point. So uh, I don't know what uh, I feel like we're going to do the movie disservice unless we talk about some cool (laughs) or not cool scenes. Right. Uh, Mike, since you are a original watcher and a fan, what were some (laughs) of your maybe growing up favorite moments in this movie? Cool moments once they're in, uh, you know, this movie all takes place over a day so that's pretty cool but once they're kind of uh, on this treasure hunt what were some things that you really really dug as a kid or even today uh yeah so just the the whole like tunnel stuff like especially i mean we could talk about the the restaurant stuff but it's really once they get into the tunnel for me that the movie kind of shifts into gear with all of the adventuring and all of that kind of thing and they run into like chester copper copper pot i think and all the booby traps and all the things um, I love the skull organ that uh, Andy has to play towards the end of the movie. I just think there's a yeah, lot that part of was really, fun. Um, yeah, and there's just a lot of amazing visuals and cool stuff to look at. The wishing well sequence is really cool. Like just the concept that they're traveling underneath the town, so like they're running into these different landmarks they know from above, but they look entirely different from below. So like. I don't know if that's the movie trying to say anything. I don't think the movie's that deep. I actually think this movie's pretty shallow. <laughs> um, but I thought that was kind of cool, you know? Like, as a little kid, I always thought it was cool. It's like, oh, look, there's, like, the pipes under the building. And, like, oh, yeah, when you do throw a quarter down the well, where does that end? So I, I really am having a lot of fun. My favorite stuff uh, before they get to the pirate ship is them, like, underground, being chased around and, like, discovering all these little sort of, like, waypoints or save points, as it were. Like, uh if you are playing Tomb Raider, like in their journey and stuff. Yeah, I actually loved um, seeing that perspective of things. That's something I actually was fascinated with as a kid, especially that wishing well and just thinking like, oh, maybe the thing in like this looks like this is what the underground looks like in my town park or something like that. So I thought that was a. Uh, that was pretty cool. Something that really bogged me down and it shouldn't have this time, though, is just the elaborateness of this whole treasure map and like. I don't know, like, to build this massive underground structure exceeds the technology of the time for just, like, this crew (laughs) who decided to die along with it, which is so fascinating. But again, as a kid, I didn't care about that. I thought it was just cool, but yeah. Again, I don't know who the movie was made for yet. You know, maybe I'll tell you later what I think, but there's definitely a lot of uh, suspension of uh, adult disbelief in these scenes, but some of it's cool. A lot of, again, a lot of it, you clearly very Spielberg, very Indiana Jones. Yeah. That's part of the reason I was like, wait, I don't think I know what this movie is about because when I think of Goonies before yesterday, like that's how I think of them is like in this underground tunnel, like exploring. Like I was like, I feel like that's what I know about the Goonies and it takes so long in the movie for that to actually happen. But then that part's fun when it happens. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. It does take a long time to kind of get there. Maybe they should have gotten there sooner. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it is super, super fun down there. And like you were saying, too, like when you're a kid, I feel like it's really easy to just imagine that like everything has like magic or like to not even just to imagine, but to hope that everything holds something magical. Like there might be all these magical secrets that you don't know about. And so, like, an underground tunnel in your town, like, I feel like that's just the most fun potential magical secret to think about when you're a kid. Yeah, I know, right? Especially when it's connected to 
the reality that you live. Like, this isn't in space. This isn't in a magical kingdom somewhere, right? Like, this isn't a town. But there's We all want to imagine that whatever it is we're experiencing, like, has some magic or, like, specialness to it. Like, For sure. You know? Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not a historian, but, like, what were those pirates doing up there way back then with the 1300s? Did he Six, say? No, 1600s, 1600s. Oh, 1600s even? But is that a... is this is in this is where again? Oregon. It, ch- Oregon? it checks out. It checks out. Okay, I'm just double checking. It, it um, wasn't we Oregon there. Yet. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. I just think also it's kind of, I mean, come on, let's be honest. In, in the '80s, no one's playing pirates. Like that is a dead giveaway of like some someone's dad wrote this movie about his <laughs> kids' <laughs> friends. You know? <laughs> yeah, like before. They- but I love it. I love pirates now. So I like that part about it even more. So. Before they could, like, uh, think of going to space, right? Like, they imagined, like, you know, Peter Pan. Like, oh, my God, you go to a magical kingdom. And there's pirates there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) At least they threw in or tried to throw in the equivalent of, like, and Frankenstein's your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, you bring up something that I really did want to bring up. And maybe I missed this. uh, And I'm not sure. But when they're in the restaurant and they find the dead body in the freezer... They kind of just leave Chunk there, and they don't really care about him? Or did I miss that, right? Like, Okay, yeah, yeah, because I thought I missed it this time, too. But Chunk kind of gets, like, lost in the mix, like, because Bran turns around and is like, where's Chunk? Where's Chunk? And everyone's like, yeah, where is he? And he's like, kind of like, I thought he was with you kind of situation. And then they tell him to go for the cops, and he sneaks out of the basement window, and he starts, like, running down the highway. But the first car he flags down is the Fratellis, and he just gets driven all the way back to the restaurant. Oh, okay, okay. That I guess that makes a little bit more sense, but okay, all right. That checks I out. kind of missed that, too, where I was like, why are they leaving Chunk? <laughs> yeah, body? yeah, it's it's a, it's a little confusing because they just find out about like the counterfeiting, and then he sniffs the ice cream. Which does ice cream smell? That just again. That I is a gr- that's the best question I've heard all week. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I cannot wait to find out the answer. <laughs> I thought it was like they were saying, "Haha, this kid's so fat that he could smell food like no matter where it is. He's like a dog." Oh, that know? is the joke. That is the joke. Yeah. That's the terrible joke. But is it a fact? Like, well, does look, ice I cream, think like can you smell ice cream? Not had... from far away. <laughs> Not through a thick freezer door, at least. If I have a thick freezer door, right, and I I have ice cream in there, and like my dogs are hungry, they're gonna sniff and they're gonna. They can smell ice cream. But that's a dog. Because they're a dog. dog, Again, they're they're saying... They're super beings, yeah. And they're super hungry. They're just being like, this guy is so fat that he has super smell to find the food. Ha ha. (laughs) That's like so fucked up. But yeah, yeah. He finds the ice cream. He he smells that, but not the dead body rotting. (laughs) He can only smell food. (laughs) He can only (laughs) smell things that are edible. But the Fratellis, like, show up, and so they kind of get split up where he hides in the freezer while they hide under underground, I guess, in the uh, in the fireplace. And then once the Fratellis leave, he goes over to go down into the fireplace, and they're like, no, 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 like, go, it, it would be better to go get help. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a little sort of mixed up. At this point, it's like, like an action movie, and, you know, we're getting a lot of elements like that. I guess the one... More high school elements. So to be clear, Josh Brolin and the two girls are high schoolers, and the rest of the kids are just, you know, probably middle schoolers or less kids or whatever. I guess the girl Carrie Green has 
like that boyfriend who's a jerk or whatever. He, by the way, I love varsity sweaters as opposed to varsity jackets. So <laughs> really love the Letterman sweater she's wearing, even though it's from a jerk guy. But that uh, also seems like very fifties. Very right, because it was the last time you yeah. actually saw that in seriousness. Yeah, we see them at the top of the wishing well, and they're gonna rescue them. But like you know, they're jerks about it. Which a very strong if you think you could pull all those people up from that like rope. But regardless, I think they're gonna go one at a time, Brian. No, no, I know that, Mike. <laughs> that, that is that is still like what? Eight, eight, Sorry, it's my brain broken. Eight, eight people. I, whatever, they're the jocks. But it's still not. That, you need you need a mechanical advantage to get people up like that. I mean, you, get, you get Brent, you get you get Thanos up there early, and he he's got good pull in the in him. I'm sure. You know. <laughs> All right. Uh, whatever. I don't know. But regardless, <laughs> Sean Astin has this big speech of why they should continue hunting for the treasure because you know mm. for, for whatever reason it's a big motivation. For whatever reason, it's their time. This this was the speech as a kid that that was like. If I was ever going to be a kid actor, I'd monologue this speech as an audition or something. Don't you realize? The next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. The next time you take a test, it'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now, they got to do what's right for them. Because it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. Not that it makes a lot of sense, but his delivery is like, you know, up there is their time, and down here is our time, and, you know, that, and they're goonies that whole and all that, yeah. Goonies for life. Goonies never say die. That kind of thing. But <laughs> what I noted on this watch was um, she puts, like, the Letterman sweater on the bucket instead, and he thinks he's pulling her up, but he's just pulling up a sweater. He couldn't <laughs> tell the weight difference. I think that very <laughs> obvious. Oh, I love movies. There was a... I what? Was watching this is something... a human? I was watching something the other day where people were on the roof of a building and a helicopter was supposed to be waiting for them. And they're like, shit, where's the helicopter? And then, like, as if helicopters don't make a noise until you can see them, it (laughs) suddenly appeared from behind them and made, like, a roaring propeller noise. It's like, you'd have heard that, like, even if it was, you know, a hundred or two yards away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, similar thing happening here for sure. But let's, uh, let's get into the moment where they actually see the whole pirate ship and this was a little fascinating uh, point of movie trivia they built this on a set obviously but they built an actual full-size pirate ship with all the compartments it was like the biggest thing they did and they did not show the kids until that moment when they enter like for that scene which was super cool so all natural reactions they didn't realize it was going to be anything like that at all so i think uh, they had to cut out like josh brolin was like holy shit when he saw that because it was just impressive (laughs) so it is one of the most magical things here if you don't know about it in your kid like i remember the first time watching i was like oh shit mike we talked about this on cage club but the first time i saw national treasure i wasn't really a kid but the fact that they actually see that treasure room i had an oh shit reaction too because i didn't expect to see it even though that's mostly cgi right like 
as a kid and you see like a full pirate ship like that that's super super awesome yeah yeah my frame of reference for this is pirates of the caribbean when i'm a little kid like i might i don't know if i was i might have been to disney world by this i don't think so i might have gone like I can't remember. It was Donald's birthday that year. So it might have been this year. And it was just like, oh, my God, like to be able to play on a pirate ship would be like I'd never get tired of that. It's like the ultimate jungle gym or something. Yeah. I mean, again, I thought this again as a kid is super cool. Even now, I thought I think it's uh, super cool. And it, uh, it didn't disappoint, you know, the fact that they actually see this uh, ship or whatever. And then, uh, you know, th- there's fighting and swashbuckling and uh you know, Chunk and Sloth end up saving the day, really. What do you think of, um, I guess, this final fight here? I won't lie. I was very checked out by this point. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Mike? And there, well, there's Wait. so much going on, too. I mean, even like the super terrific fun slide that they have to slide down. Into I the did giant, love that part a lot. That's a lot of fun. I like Mikey's little sort of like heart to heart with the dead one-eyed Willie. It's really sort of morose, I guess. Is that the right word? It's like... Where'd Willie? I just learned his room. Hi, Willie. Hi, Mike Walsh. You've been expecting me. Haven't you? I made it. I beat you. I got here in one piece. Why they call you One Eyed Willie? One Eyed Willie. <laughs> we had a lot in common, huh, Willie? You know something, Willie? You're the first cutie. Like, he's talking to a corpse. It's like, it's a weird little kid. Also, we didn't comment on his Jay Leno collection, the um, his his denim tux that he oh. wears the entire movie. God. But um, <laughs> I know he's a little boy, <laughs> but I can't help it. I had a, I love jean jackets. Yeah, I love this whole thing in the Bye Bye um, Marbles. That was a nice little sort of clue. All of the grabbing of the coinage, like it's it's so much fun. Like it's just like a fantasy, you know. Come to life. I always want to find buried treasure. Even even to this day, I would love to find buried treasure. I mean, there's that whole show, The Curse of Oak Island, where these poor guys are like using their life savings to dig up this island. <laughs> Wait, like a real and... show, and they're really looking yeah. for treasure on an island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been going on for like eight years or something. I mean. Like, these guys, the curse of Oak Island, you know, and now they've inherited the curse. But what do like, they think yeah, is a, there? Treasure. Oh. Like this, <laughs> what, what is treasure? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the treasure was in their hearts the entire time. Who knows? I think the treasure is teamwork. But, <laughs> yeah, like, doubloons and Spanish coin and, like, actual stuff. Like, it's supposed to be, like, a real famous pirate 
you know, like buried his stuff there, but more and more it's starting to seem like he was the world's greatest practical joker. Um, That's yeah, like kind of badass, like to make a practical joke that goes on for like hundreds of years or whatever. Like, I mean, that's all you have to do is cool. just like make, yeah, make a map until someone had buried some really expensive stuff here and then like, you know, let it marinate for a couple of years and uh, yeah. Put it in someone's attic. <laughs> exactly. Anything else before we get into we finally get out of the tunnel and we get reunited with the parents because I do have my opinions on on this ending here and I looked up some historical things. So uh anything else before uh the ending ending on the beach? No, just like shout out that they made one of the girls useful for something. <laughs> she played the piano. Oh yeah, the skeleton piano thing. She wasn't very good at it, but it, it still worked. No, and she was very nervous, but they did yeah. need her for something. That's a good point. <laughs> I think um, didn't Martha Plimpton get to sock Anne Ramsey on the chin before jumping off the yeah. pirate ship? Like that's not great. Like they gave her something to do. She hit another woman. Like that's not cool. But... <laughs> Send them over there to fight each other. We don't know what. Uh, we don't know. <laughs> Speaking of her, Martha Plimpton, she apparently hated Corey Feldman. They hated each other on set. They have like a little moment where she's what? like gross, but apparently Corey Feldman was a little shithead to her. So <laughs> They seem related. Like, is there something between... They feel like brother... They should have been brothers. I thought they were the first movie. time I watched it as a kid. I thought that was his... I don't I guess I missed the part where they kind of have a moment where she kind of then throws him off or whatever, or he tries to have a moment. But as a little kid, oh, I thought... Oh, yeah, that, that did happen. <laughs> but yeah, but she hated him, apparently. We're learning a lot of people hated Corey Feldman on set, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I find it really strange, just as a side note, that he looks exactly the same as an adult as he did as a kid. Like, mm-hmm. exactly the same. Like, when I was watching this, like, I could not stop seeing him as an adult. Whereas, like, Josh Brolin, even though it's, like, the same you recognize person, him. you don't even recognize yeah. him, right? Like, It's okay. so strange. You could see how he grew up into that, but, like, oh, okay, that's the teenage version of this person, all right, whatever, you know? But, like, you're right. Corey Feldman just kind of, like, got bigger, you know what I mean? Just, like, a <laughs> yeah, little bit. Not even the same. Not, not even that <laughs> you know who didn't age... You know who else did it in age since this movie was made was Joey Pants. Like yeah, that's amazing. true. He pretty pretty much like came out looking that way, and that's it. He just stayed that way. <laughs> he was like always a bald fifty year old man. <laughs> For sure. Do you think I was wondering? Do you think I feel like I'm older than him now than when he made that movie? Like that was a scary thought I had looking at Joey Pants. I'm like. I'm going to be 42 this year. I bet he was like 33 or 4 when he made this movie. Well, Mike, that's I mean, always... I'm like, I didn't look it up. But. That's always something we see in these movies. Like, the dad is like 33 in the movies, and he's got like a mustache and like, you know... Uh, yeah, like, two kids. Yeah, two and, kids and like a house with oh, yeah. a picket fence. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I had a thing during this movie where I'm 35, and so like, I, you know, I've been mom-aged for like a while. <laughs> But, like, more and more now when I watch kids stuff, like, I feel almost like a mom sometimes. Like, when the mom was like, okay, but don't go out because you're asthma. And then he went out anyway. I was, like, so worried about him. Like, I was like, oh, no. I'm, like, reacting like a mom to this. That's great. I definitely don't feel like a dad. Um, well, especially these 80s movies dads who are just very, again, 
mustachey and even though I have glasses and a beard, mm. so maybe I should be like that. And you know, maybe just my my own immaturity. Instead, I'm hosting podcasts talking about the movie, not being like, "Kids, watch this movie," or "I'm going to try to save a town and tuck in my shirt." Like and your <laughs> kids are just rolling their eyes at you because they like never want to watch this. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so this final beach scene. Okay, so the rich people, the rich country club people, they're all there because there's missing children, right? Like, this is a big deal. There's murderers on the loose. And they have the fucking nerve to be like, all right, you found the kids. (laughs) Sign over your house. Sign here. (laughs) There's a a deadline, Brian. The bulldozers have been rented. (laughs) I get it. But you can extend the deadline for like a week to be like, okay, great. You know, we'll discuss this. You're going to get the houses probably anyway. They have no idea that there was actual treasure (laughs) there or anything like that. How could that happen? And when like uh, the maid or whatever finds... Uh, the jewels in that sack of marbles because again you kind of think at this point oh you know they saw the treasure they had the adventure but they're still gonna theoretically not have the winnings or whatever but turns out the maid discovers it and honestly if i were her the way she's been treated i would have seen those jewels i would have pocketed them exactly (laughs) and just gone off whatever at least like one or two of them like I hope they the gave the whole her thing one. back to them. I hope they gave her one, right? I do too. Ay, Dios mío de mi vida. Ay, Dios mío de mi vida. Ave María Purísima, mira nomás. Ay. What's she saying? What's she saying? No firmen. Mira nomás que tesoro. No, no pen. No pen. No what? No right. No firmen. Mira nomás. No sign. No sign. No sign. No up that they have that there and i'm assuming too if you know that there's like a historical site there with really great historical possessions potentially that should probably stop the excavating right there has to be some statute that says they have to dig and see what's there first i don't know well it this is pirate treasure so they've claimed it it's there you know it's sort of like first come first serve. and now that it's drifting out to sea it's up for grabs but mike yes right? the treasure so- <laughs> the treasure is there but in terms of there's other stuff in there that is of cultural and Correct. historical significance by the way oh oh yeah yeah the whole town is now a historical site for sure right because of that <laughs> congress by the way declared this movie historically significant uh, a couple of years ago and again you could like it or not it definitely is super influential to the history of film uh so that reminded me of that but it is in the imdb trivia and i look this up to confirm it technically they do have rights to that treasure because i was like oh what if the government of spain is like that technically belongs to us or anything like that 
No, but yes, they do have rights to that treasure. Uh, specifically, Sean Astin's character, for whatever reason, is like person who, with the map leading the thing, and he's allowed to dole it out technically. Oh yeah, or his uh, it's his idea. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it is plausible. It's his there. idea. He had like full ownership of that map. Like it, yeah, everyone was like following him. Right. So there's no question. Because part of me was thinking that there was like a legal argument that if like creditors own the land that this was technically on, is it their gold? Whatever? But it wasn't. It wasn't on the land it was underground well, that's the land you know you know they would <laughs> it go wasn't... to court to make an argument to be like that's our treasure for sure it wasn't even underground it was in a like underground like lake or something right <laughs> like it was in an enclosed sort of like uh cove or something so like it was on the water the whole time I don't know. I'm sure you're right, Jordan. It would be there'd be a legal tangled case. up in court for forever. Yeah, <laughs> but at least that buys them time to like not knock their houses down or whatever. But uh, another thing you well, they don't need to live there anyway anymore. They can go buy a better. I mean, not that it's a bad house, but like, yeah, they could probably buy whatever they want. The, the irony of this movie—they're trying to save their neighborhood. They're so proud of their docks. <laughs> they get rich. They're like, fuck it, we're building the country club anyway. That's, that's we <laughs> yeah, we're... now we belong at the country club, <laughs> so go for it. <laughs> One thing I always love about this movie, and it's something you kind of also uh, mentioned earlier, Jordan, in terms of like when you're a kid and just like imagination and all that stuff, the validation of that ship just sailing out. You always imagine as a kid, like finding something like this or, or finding a magical land, we'll say, right? But then the adults never believing you. That's always a thing. But that ship sailing out into the ocean and being like, you see, we did see that treasure. We weren't lying. Like that to me as a kid, I was like, hell yeah. You know? Oh, like really sticking it to the adults. Yeah, like validation. <laughs> like, they did do that. Shoving it in their face. Yeah, totally. Like, now you should listen to me a lot more, Dad. <laughs> For sure. So I do love that, uh, you know, and I still love that moment. Anything else in the film that you want to talk about or should we get to our awards? Uh, I'm I'm good as far as like the, the film and the movie and everything. I've There's been some Goonies Nintendo games. I don't know if you've played any of I those haven't. or if the... Um, so one, there's a Goonies game. It was in the arcade. I don't think it ever made it to the Nintendo in America. Uh, it's pretty basic. You run around collecting up the Goonies. You find keys. It's like a Mario-style kind of platformer. Then there was Goonies 2, which did come out in America, and it's like this crazy sort of role-playing adventure game where you're running from the Fratellis, finding the Goonies, and also rescuing a mermaid. And I don't know if you had anything in the notes about any potential sequels down the line or anything like that, but like... I feel like a mermaid would have fit perfectly into this movie franchise somewhere along the line. And I kind of hold my, I mean, we do have Stranger Things and all those kinds of things, so I guess I shouldn't, like, hold my breath or anything, but, you know, they've been talking about a Goonies reunion of some kind. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind watching that. Well, they did a couple reads recently, right? Oh, okay, okay. Um, They did... <sighs> I forget what the first one was, but then they did another one during COVID where they raised money, like a bunch of money, doing a table read. So they've done that. Maybe someone will take it a step farther. Who knows? Who knows? But it does feel a little uh, extra with like things like Stranger Things today. But I, I'm in favor of those table reads. And but like that. I like, like, I like the idea of like, can you take a movie like Goonies and remake it, but do better like that as a remake is i'm not into remakes i'm I'm not into reboots like make something original (laughs) but that's in that's more interesting to me is like i don't know 
Maybe they could do it better. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I'd watch it. You know I would, so... (laughs) Mike, one thing that I thought you'd be interested in, I didn't know there was a video game, but there was a novelization of The Goonies. And (laughs) the fact I pulled from that is that Chunk's parents adopt Sloth in the novelization and throw him a bar mitzvah. Oh my god. Well, Chunk does say in this one that he's like, you're coming to live with me, Sloth. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think that's going to work out, kid. (laughs) But that's nice. Apparently it does in the novel, so good for them. I love how his parents are like that open and accepting of like, hey, like, son, who's your new friend? Oh, gee, I found him underground. <laughs> like, but then they were like, oh, but you have to be Jewish. Like, to- <laughs> <laughs> what a great element of it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, questions and awards. We talked about this one a lot today, so now I'm curious where we all land. First question we ask these days. Who was this movie made for? Who was the Goonies made for at the time? What was it rated? Does anyone know? Uh, I, I think it was PG. I know the rating systems back then were just like, it went from PG to R, so it's kind of ambiguous. Yeah, because like, like now, yeah, like now this would be rated PG-13. Yeah, it's PG at the time, in 1985. So, any, any uh, assessment? Who do we think this movie was made for? Um, I, I actually, like, I mean, I think it's made for families at the time, like, and, and if that makes, yeah, that makes sense. a weird sense. Yeah, because, like, definitely, like, it has that sort of vibe that became real sort of prevalent in Pixar films, where it was like, let's sneak in a bunch of, like, parent jokes or things for the parents to keep them on their toes or whatever. Like, let's that get get them engaged in the movie as well. And this seems like an early kind of version of the of an attempt at that. And I think maybe that's why like it didn't really blend well. So maybe that's why we don't see it a whole lot for another like fifteen years or so until the Toy Stories like start showing up. Uh, because it does seem like, yeah, this is a movie that everybody in the family will get a little money's worth. Like uh dad and mom are going to be laughing at different stuff than you know brother and sister or whatever and like uh i think that's the way it worked on my family Mm. at the time and i don't know that that sort of holds true today necessarily so as far as you know who's this for today i don't know but i think back then they were aiming it as all right this is something the whole family can can enjoy uh jordan did you figure out in your mind who you think this film was made for but I think what Mike just said makes sense. You know, it's like the like parents and kids would go to this together. And like my instinct is to be like, and everyone would be a little unhappy. But I don't <laughs> think the kid, I don't, I don't think the kids would ever pick up. Like, I think the ki- kids would just have like a fun time watching this. And the adults would be like, mm, that, that was fine. It was better than some other stuff, you know? <laughs> better than sitting at home. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, most likely to succeed. Who won the movie here? Who comes out on top? Which character do you think is set up best for the future? Oh, I mean, Sloth got a whole new family. <laughs> that is true. Theoretically, yes. Some people got rich here. Is there any one character who stood out to you, Jordan, as the winner of the film? Not in the movie, but like, you know, Mikey's going to go on to be really successful. So is Mouth. Like, they're going to do great. Because, you know, they're aggressive, ambitious white dudes. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. Chunk is well, going to fall yeah. apart. 
No, Chunk's going to own a pizzeria. Mouth will be a plumber. Mikey will probably be a writer. Brand will run a gym. Like, they're all going to stay local, but they're all going to, like... You think? No, really... I think they might not. No? I think all that right. town is going to change like... too much for them. But they've, they've worked so hard to secure it, and now that it's going to be, like, a national spot, like a tourist trap or something, come see One-Eyed Willie's Cove or something, I think they might stick around. Like, Data's probably going to be, like, an electrician. I don't know. <laughs> well, I hope he's an inventor of news. Oh, no. Data is, like... Went to like MIT and yeah. like Data's doing. Da- actually, Data probably won the best. Oh yeah, you know what? That's a great okay. call. Most likely right. to succeed good in call. my mind would be Data. That's that's good. <laughs> okay, Wooderson Award. Is there a character here who you would have liked to have get, gotten more screen time? A character who you would have liked to see more of in the film? I mean, if the mom it tells jokes like that house <laughs> joke, <laughs> like you know, more of the mom, please. Mike, anyone? Uh, yeah, I'd go with that. It would probably be, like, an adult, you know, the mom or the dad, just get maybe a little Even, more interaction. Yeah, like, the dad, just for, like, a better plot, too. Like, if we met the dad from the beginning, it would have been, I think, less confusing, maybe. I, I pick Steph, because I just love her so much, and I wish she just had a bigger role, and she was more of an authority in this movie. But all good picks. Opposite award, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better, whether it be for politically correct reasons or just because you did not care for their storyline or whatever? Is there a character here you would delete from the film? I mean, you know, like, the sloth character's tough, right? Like, I wouldn't want to entirely remove it, but I do want to sort of change it up a little bit. You know, there's got to be a way to make that work a little better, right? Oh, I mean, there has to be, yeah. without, Without, like, completely excising it either, though, you know? Yeah, I mean, so, I don't know. What, could, what would, yeah, like, what would you change it to, though? Like, like, me, like, could he be part of the family, but just, like, a brother who is, like, I'm not into this crime stuff. <laughs> like, Right, like, I would just make him the nice brother. Right. right? Like, like, he wouldn't have anything, quote-unquote, like, wrong with him necessarily by looking at him, but, like, so there'd be the three of them, and then, like, out of him, Joe, Joey Pants, and the other guy, like, he would just be the most, the like, we should let these kids go, you know? These kids aren't bothered. You know, like, like, maybe the they're kind of mean to him, you know, because he's yeah, like nicer than Rama, them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's always the one that's like, I don't know about this, like, we should go straight, and they're all, like, you know, more like more talk like that, and like we'll plug you. You're out of the gang. Okay, this award I don't know if it's applicable here. It's the Cameron Fry Award. It's uh, whoever if someone looks too old to be a high schooler, but there's really only three high schoolers we see. Um, the other kids are not in high school, so and they really do look the correct age. Yeah, exactly. I think they look of age, so we're gonna write a big fat NA over that category. Okay, so this is gonna be an interesting question this week. Every time we have a high school slumber party episode we grade the movie on the old report card grade a plus to f now our little cheat sheet of course we uh, see what other people have thought of this movie so rotten tomatoes critics 76 percent thumbs up audience very high here as this is a very beloved film as we know 91 percent letterbox the film nerds 3.8 out of 5 but that's just a little bit of you know side insight that doesn't really count for us mike as the uh as my official Corey co-host why don't you go first a plus to f scale take the red pen what do you grade the goonies 
All right. Um, my grade's probably going to, you know, skew a little higher um, just because of how much I like this movie, you know, throughout the years and everything. Not necessarily because it is like a great movie or anything. Um, I actually know a lot of people that don't like this movie that like find the kids annoying, think that it's just a bunch of yelling and screaming and just kind of like hard to follow as well. And um, stuff. That's but, what... Um, children are like <laughs> that's, well, that's, just the, accurate. that's the thing <laughs> you know it's pretty true to form and i still like this movie a lot you know but i think over the years like um it just doesn't hit the same way as it used to and i maybe some of the nostalgia is wearing off but i'm still going to give it a pretty high grade and give it a b you know um the first time I saw it, it was like, A++, plus plus. I'm a six-year-old, I love Goonies, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, whatever, 30 years later, something like that, so uh, maybe even more. Yeah, so I, I think it's it's fine these days, you know, I don't think I'm going to sit down and watch it again for a while, unless I'm doing another podcast about an actor in it, uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm going with. Jordan, how about you? I think... My initial grade would be, like, D. But then, like, talking about it, like, in context and, like, all of the things that it, you know, has given us, I can go up to, like, a C, you know? Like, I can, like, for me, D or less, but I can also acknowledge its importance in film and in pop culture. And I, like, I want to discount that. And I also, like, like, I know I can't. (laughs) Uh, fair grade C. Um, I I gave it a, a B as well with you, Mike. Uh, I okay, there's a lot I enjoy about this movie. There's a lot of moments that still, you know, warm my heart. But I totally you know take off points for, and not because of it, you know, appropriateness necessarily, but it didn't age as well as I think some people think. But it is super influential to filmmakers and a lot of people. So I, I give it a lot of props for that. So. Solid B, and I know a lot of people are going to be disappointed with that score on both ends, but hey, you know, let us know out there, Slumberers, how you feel about the Goonies. Um, It's a very important movie to a generation of kids, so I get it from that respect. And Mike, there are people you said who don't like children, so if you don't like children at all, you're not going to like this movie. (laughs) Kids suck. I would be really curious to talk to other people who, like, have, I mean, obviously, this was the goal of my podcast but people who watch it again like do they still like it yeah for sure uh, like what I, you I know think we have a really great cross-section like, today i just with think like that's it. so interesting for sure well sounds like a premise of a podcast <laughs> like this also makes me want to watch it again and focus better to make <laughs> to make sure that my critique holds up because I don't want to just be a dick to be a dick you know I think it's easy for me now to like judge things I don't know if too harshly is the right word but it's just like I don't have any patience for seeing the good in stuff sometimes anymore um and so I am curious I don't know maybe I'll watch it again one day and see and see but I think you were very fair you weren't just like uh Thank you. I I truly can't tell. Like even like having these conversations and yeah, like, like even just having these conversations is like a newer experience for me. And so I can't tell if sometimes I'm just being an unfair dick or if sometimes (laughs) I'm like making good points, you know? No, I don't think you were an unfair dick today. So there you go. Cool, cool. Great. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, 
this is this should be interesting as the aesthetics of this film are something that a lot of people enjoy as well like the way it looks and again the pirate ship and the practical effects of things you know that i don't know about today because i think we do have a renewed reverence for practical effects but if this movie was remade in like 2004 it would have been all cgi and it would have been really crappy um but uh what is your sleeping bag your goonies themed sleeping bag look like <laughs> mike again you you go first yeah i mean it's gotta this one has got to be simple i think it's just a black sleeping bag with the jolly roger pirate flag on it right the skull and the crossbones like that's nice and classic it's a good chance to to use that one when we're watching goonies so it is a classic that's my answer it is a classic yeah how about you jordan mine is like a recreation of the um water slides that they slid down (laughs) but you know in sleeping bag format that's cool that's cool brian is yours like a rube goldberg to get into (gasps) kind of you're on the right track (laughs) it's gonna be like data's jacket like it's gonna look like that but when you open it there's like rube goldberg stuff in it so yeah (laughs) that's mine i I love how he just has a boxing glove at one point Oh man. Okay, my favorite question. Wait, I have a dumb question that's sure. related but not related now. Is Inspector Gadget just a James Bond joke? Well, that's from Get Smart. It's, oh, it's even, I used yeah, to watch that when I was the, really little. Yeah, it's even the same the guy who in Get Smart does the I think is an impression on Gadget of that guy. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, guy. I never knew that. Ooh, teaching us. But that's is that related to James Bond? Is that a, J- a James Bond joke? Is get, is get Smart James? Yes, because okay, okay. in that, it's not Spectre. It's something funny, yeah. though. Like, they have, they have like, their equivalents of their sort of, like, yeah, agencies and stuff. Right, yeah. Because I was watching... Um, this and being like, oh, those are like Inspector Gadget tricks. But then I like also had an awareness yeah. of like, surely those like actually came from somewhere else. But like, I don't watch that stuff mostly, <laughs> so like, I couldn't place the lineage, even though I knew it must exist. That's a good pull. I didn't, I didn't think of that watching it, but I was definitely into Inspector Gadget at the time. I even wonder if if Data is modeled a little after him with you know hiding everything in the trench coat. Well, and, right, and exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And all those things that like spring away from his body and stuff, like right, right, so many springs. Okay, my favorite question every time we do a high school slumber party episode, we are all in the magical, magical, mythical. Oh, maybe this blockbuster isn't ex- existing in the sky. Maybe it's existed under our town right now, and it has every movie that has ever existed from this second today to the till back into the history of films. In general, you know, if you want to do a cave painting, you can as well, but that would be really weird. But regardless, any any kind of thing you want to share with us, we know we are watching The Goonies tonight. And I'm going to ask you two separately to have two separate picks for this. But we get to the counter and we see a sign and the sign says rent two movies, get one free. Since we are renting The Goonies, first I say, Mike. Go to the back and pick two movies we're going to rent for our triple feature. Then I said, Jordan, pick two other movies. We're going to watch a whole bunch of movies on this slumber party today. So, uh, you know, again, as as the senior here, Mike, what are your two picks? I'll give you a little time to think, Jordan. Mike, what are the two picks that we'll watch alongside the Goonies for your portion of the slumber party? Oh, boy. 
Okay, I, I keep forgetting sometimes that, like, the idea is to stay up all night and watch these movies instead of just, like, recommending what would go well with these <laughs> movies. But, like, surely one of these is going to put us to bed. I'm just realizing that now because uh, the first one I'm going to recommend is a 1935 black and white movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're really, really doing this whole movies in all existence thing, so I love it. So what, what is <laughs> So it's it's actually the pirate film they're watching in the movie. It's called Captain Blood. Oh, okay. Uh, it stars Errol Flynn. And the basic plot is that there's, there's a war going on in the 17th century. Uh, uh, there's a war and this, this doctor helps someone on the wrong side and is accused of treason. So him and his patient break out of prison and head to the high seas. Uh, and he becomes Captain Blood. So he's like a physician. And he's out there swashbuckling. I haven't seen it in a... I've only watched it once. I haven't seen it in a really long time. But like... You know, he's sort of given the pirates a good rep, right? Like, he's a pirate you can reason with. Um, he's a pirate that like, you can parlay with, and, and he'll abide by code and things like that. So uh, it's not actually – it doesn't have the music in this movie. That music is from The Adventures of Don Juan around the same time, which is also an amazing movie, uh, a great sort of, um, like – sword swashbuckling film as well uh but so captain blood is my first uh choice also i just love that title <laughs> what's your second choice a movie from 1904 like a no a bunch no of this, a... this is <laughs> <laughs> the one yeah. where the train just goes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pe- pe- people it. leaving the people leaving the Lumiere brothers. Uh, did, factory. Mike, did you see that one in the theater when it came out? <laughs> you know I did. Oh man, um, no. This movie is actually from 1985, same very same year, and it's a Roland Emmerich movie. I think it's his very first movie. It's called Making Contact. It's also known simply as Joey. Okay. Shout out, Joey. Um, It's about a nine-year-old boy who loses his father but makes contact with what he believes is his deceased dad using, like, a toy telephone. Um, And then he's sort of terrorized by a possessed ventriloquist (sighs) dummy that summons him to, like, another dimension in a spirit world where his dad might be trapped. It is mental! (laughs) And, like, I've seen it on HBO around this time. Like, I wanted to pick a sort of Goonies-adjacent film, and I remember watching this thinking it was going to be like Goonies, and it was terrifying (laughs) as a kid. There's two cuts of it. There's, like, a 98-minute version and, like, an 80-minute version. It's, like, the Euro and American cuts, and it's just insane. Like, um, Roland Emmerich just was, like, loved Spielberg, so this is sort of his amalgamation of all of Spielberg's properties at the time it's got like poltergeist it's got aliens from et it's got kids from like running around from goonies like i wouldn't be surprised if there's a shark in there uh it's got the missing father issues that spielberg was going through at the time with his you know making movies about his dad leaving him and stuff like it is wild it is just like this crazy thing that people got to check out wow i that's yeah. I didn't expect those two picks, Mike. That's very, very, very interesting. <laughs> well, that was my ringer. That was. I only thought we were going to do one, and the Captain Blood was sort of a backup in case. But like, that's my main <laughs> suggestion. I love it. I love it, Jordan. Have you thought of your two picks? Yeah. So we're gonna start with Goonies, have a fun time, and then we're gonna watch Poltergeist. Nice to have a scary time. Yes. And then we're gonna watch 
Camp Nowhere to bring it back to fun oh. after we got too scared. Because I, I really like Camp Nowhere. <laughs> I have watched it as an adult. And I... <laughs> and I <laughs> I like it as a movie about a group of kids doing a thing, you know, where the kids are very centered in the movie. So, you know, related, nice. but not related. And also, like, it's, you know, we'll watch that last. It's like, if we fall asleep during it, that's cool. It's <laughs> not a big deal, you know? I love it. That's great. That's a little great trifecta there. Poltergeist really. Yeah, that's like uh, one of the. It's Chris, Christopher Lloyd. That's like one of the few Christopher Lloyd movies I don't think I've seen. I gotta check that out. I would be. That's one of like so. That's one where I can't separate the nostalgia. <laughs> so I would be fascinated to know what you think, Mike. <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's on Disney Plus. So I'll check it oh, out. Oh, really? That's awesome. Well, guys, this was absolutely awesome. I loved you know just talking Goonies with having different perspectives here you know we didn't talk too much Corey feldman but he's just a small part of this movie but it's still a, a interesting one as mouth and uh yeah i mean i i can't uh you know i can't thank you guys enough anything you want to say whatever anything you want to close with just quickly uh the third of every month i'm still doing third times a charm brian is sometimes my unofficial co-host over there in june we will be talking i will be talking star trek beyond with dan the Caden. so uh tune in for that we do some space drifting in the old enterprise and then the last friday of every month uh dan cologne and myself have a new show called the monsters that made us where we are looking at the history of the universal monster movies starting uh, all the way back in the 30s and our episode this month uh coming up is dracula's daughter which is a great movie you know it's a shame that uh, more people are not aware of that movie so check it out if you can and check out the episodes and thank you for listening thanks mike jordan anything you want to plug or say or i have nothing to plug but thanks for inviting me not only had I not seen this movie before, but I'm not sure I've seen any Corey movies at all before. So I don't know if you've introduced me to a new world or if I'll <laughs> pursue this at all. But you know what? It's, it's a gateway to something, maybe. My mind is maybe more open now. <laughs> Mike, as we are you know, nearing the end of our like uh, Corey's series, right? Um, what... Corey movies would you recommend Jordan watch? Oh, that's very helpful. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to say Lost Boys. You should definitely see Lost yeah, Boys. Yeah. Not Licensed to Drive. Really? What about Stand By think... Me? I feel like I want to watch that one. Yes. I really like that Yeah, so one. that's just Feldman. Um, so, okay. If Stand By Me is the mm-hmm. Feldman, give give Jordan a, ha- a Corey Haim one, and then we'll say okay. Lost Boys as the joint one. Yeah, so Lucas, I think, right? Lucas is a good movie. Carrie Green in that as well. I like Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows if you like it? Yeah, yeah, and and Winona Ryder. Oh yeah, and Charlie Sheen. Winona's first okay, movie. Okay, okay. Oh, that's cool. It's got a pretty good cast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thanks so much once again, and uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy life with or without Corey's. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Big thank you to Jordan Poland Clark and Mike Manzi, the Hot Dog Gang. We got to get Jordan back here soon as for mike manzi you know the drill by now he's here for friday's episode two big thank you to him today big thank you to him for this whole Corey series our final film of this year's Corey series will be this friday joe too will be here as well so you might glean what we're talking about no it's not twilight there's no Corey and Corey twilight film 
And actually, the film we're going to talk about on Friday doesn't have either Corey in it. So what is it? <gasps> it's a Lifetime film about the lives of the two Corys. It is called A Tale of Two Corys, and it is your homework to watch before Friday. Big dreams, bright lights, that's Hollywood. Okay, so let me get this straight. Your name is Corey. My name is Corey. You're an actor. <laughs> I'm an actor. Two Corys? Oh my God, am I even allowed to hang out? My name's not Corey. Michael Jackson. Oh. You got Hollywood Squares later today. Shows like that are for people at the end of their careers. You're just getting started. I made a lot of really bad decisions for my career. <laughs> Let me let you in on a little secret about Hollywood. There's a girls club, there's a boys club. Come on, man, just close your eyes, pretend I'm a girl. You want to be in the boys club, don't you? I guess. Easy, man. Can't believe I'm doing coke with Matt. Oh! <laughs> what am I looking at here? Huh? What is this? You continue down this road, you're gonna throw it all away. Are you high? <laughs> now, I thought I was the bad one. You're fired. Fired? Yeah, man, maybe we shouldn't work together anymore. just talk. Let's talk about how you let me get raped by a guy that you used to hang out with. Do it! Come on! We need a doctor here! <laughs> this one is going to be wacky. This one is going to be wild. You know it's always fun when Joe Two's here and when Mike Manzi is here. So this one's going to be great. Watch this Lifetime movie wherever you can. A Tale of Two Corys, a great way to cap off 2021's season of the Two Corys. <laughs> I love it. Once again, big thank you to Joey Lewandowski and Bob Fisher. Their show sounds so exciting. How to Win the Lottery, it's a book podcast, it's a book club that you can join. And remember, that comes out this Thursday couple other things before we get out of here. Saw some movies this weekend. I'll talk about them on a future episode. Some of them are high school adjacent, including Kid 90. That one was really cool. Can't wait to talk about that one with you guys. One more thing, if you're wondering where the ballot is for our superlatives. Didn't get around to it this weekend. I apologize. Started working on it, but I need to put the finishing touches. So look out for that. The voting will be soon. For high school slumber parties. Junior year yearbook special. I cannot wait. But if you could tell in my voice and the way I'm speaking, I am really, really tired. <laughs> so remember, guys, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop, look around once in a while, you could miss it. I'm going to crawl into the sleeping bag and hit the old hay, catch some Z's, and I'm going to leave you with a song that Jordan mentioned. It's actually the same song we played you in with, but by a different band. The Goonies Are Good Enough by Newfound Glory.
Later, dudes. It's over. Go home. Go.